everyone, and welcome to the 25th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is one of your hosts, Platym3. And this is your other host, Yangus the Legendary Bandit. And in honor of one of the animals we're coming here to discuss tonight, I figured we'd speed right through this intro, blah blah blah. Hey, Matcraft, how you doing? Whoa, whoa, Hi. whoa, whoa, Platy, play, hold on there, slow down. Uh, sorry there, Matcraft, uh, let's, uh, try, let's call him Platy down here for a bit. I mean, I don't even think I caught half of what Platy just said. Look, I know we have Matcraft on tonight, but we haven't even done an intro yet. What are you up to? Well, I mean, I was just looking at the show notes, um, and there's that line there about the Peregrine Falcon that can reach speeds of 240 miles an hour, or 386 kph for our metric friends out there, um, when it's like dive-bombing prey and everything, so I thought I'd just try to talk as fast as that Falcon. Okay, well... Odd random fact aside, I wasn't aware Siege uh, was specifically a Peregrine Falcon, but if you want to start with that, okay, sure. Siege? Who, who? Who's Siege? Oh, crap. Is that the guy that the Falcons drafted this year in the first round? God damn it. Did I get the wrong show topic again? Shit. Ah. I clearly saw us discussing Falcons and Trails in the Sky and, you know, stuff they do and thought of the birds. I mean, ugh. and I thought we were waiting on Pendy to do a sports show. I guess but this all kind of makes sense. I mean, Georgia, we got Matt Craft, Atlanta Falcons. Sorry, guys. I, oh, man. And screw the Falcons, man, as a Bucks fan. But I, I think I got mixed <laughs> up here. We're, cut. Cut. Shit. Where's that Skype stop button? I swear. Every time this freaking thing updates, I can't find the stop button. Oh, okay, hold on, hold on there, Platy. Just hold on a sec. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. The Falcons drafted that tight end from Florida. That dude's the pits. Okay, look, you, I've completely lost you here. Why are you talking about the Peregrine Falcons and the Atlanta Falcons? What, what, what the hell's going on? The topic, right? Falcon. Uh oh, I see what happened there. Uh, Matt Craft, were you the one that changed the font, uh, to Pacifico in the Google Doc? It wasn't me. I mean, I could check the edit history, um, but I'll just save that for out of the podcast. I don't want to mess anything up, but what the heck's the difference between Pacifico and Comic Sans? Um, well, the number of humps in letter N and the letter M. Okay, let me just do select all, change it back. Oh, oh, shit! We're talking Falcom, not Falcon. Yep. Oh, well, that does make a little more sense. So, cool. Well, you know, this is going to be an easy topic to go on and on about our trails of. Oh, God, the puns. Oh, I think I liked it better when you were going to talk about birds and football. <laughs> But yes, tonight, uh, for tonight's episode, the 25th episode, we will be discussing Falcom games. Uh, I'm going to try and do this as quickly as Platy was talking earlier on. So let's see if I can actually manage to do this and get everything out what I want to say. <clears throat> Falcom's a company that's been around for over 30 years. They've been making video games for a long time. But many of them are which are small. Uh, small <laughs> I screwed up. <laughs> that are uh, of a smaller, uh, or smaller in scope, but usually deliver a pretty good story and... Uh, writing characters, all that good jazz. Uh, they're most uh, well known for series such as Ease, which has been around for, I believe, 35 years, actually. 
I'm not really sure how long Falcom's been around as a company, but they've been on Ease has been around for a very long time, probably probably at least 30 years. Uh, another series they're well known for is the Trails of games or Legend of Heroes games, whichever title you prefer. Uh, so just Trails in the Sky, Trails of Cold Steel, um, and as we actually found out, we're actually going to be getting the Crossbell games in English uh, within the next few years. I believe the game plan is like one every year or something like that. But yeah, anyway, supposed to be one next fall and then another one in 2023 so but yeah uh falcom's been around for a long time not one of the like biggest high profile uh studios that are out there that make rpgs but they have a very long history and a very dedicated fan base and we are going to be talking about a variety of the games i don't really have a whole much else to say about other than that so uh let's go ahead and dive in what are we going to talk about first well hey matt craft hi <laughs> We, we, we kind of mentioned you a few times, but wanted to definitely say welcome to Matcraft tonight. Oh, wait, I didn't even finish talking. Blah, 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 Matcraft, let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. You finished the script. Your blah, blah, blah went very well. Both the improvised blah, blah, blah and the real blah, blah, blah. So Thank you, thank you. Muy bueno, Yangus. <laughs> All right. You might as well go with the Charlie Brown. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, All right, so... Uh, Yangus, uh, I'll let you and Matt Craft uh, kind of take over here for the uh, next hour or so as we uh, plow through the <laughs> E series. <laughs> uh, um, well, the first part of it, right? Well, um, I, I don't know if I could talk about every single game, but I can talk about at least a few of them. So, well, uh, like maybe guess... you should talk about the origins of the E series. Uh, that's a horrible segue, Platty, but I, I, give, I give you a pat on the back anyway for it. There we go. There we go. But uh, yeah, so first one we'll talk about uh, is Ease Origins. This was actually a game that came out in the in the 2000s. I believe originally released on PCs over in Japan, and it was actually a game that was brought over not by Xseed, who was the main publisher around the time that uh, a lot of the Ease games started making their way westward, but was instead published by a different company. Uh, this uh, Ease Origins is actually a prequel to the entirety of the Ease series. And rather than uh, focusing on the character of Adol Christian and his adventures, it instead takes place uh, in the earlier years of the world, uh, particularly focusing on the backgrounds of the twin goddesses from Ease 1 and 2 and the central tower that is a key part of the story of Ease Origins. And I believe it actually does end up appearing in um, Ease 1 and 2, if I remember correctly. Something about how its location has changed or the world has changed and the time between Origins and 1 and 2, something like that. Uh, anyway, so Origins, instead of focusing on Adol Christian, it's one of the few games that actually doesn't have him as the main lead, but instead focuses on a duel of explorers and an eventual unlockable third character once you beat the other two stories uh, in the game. Uh, each character has their own story and reasons to climb the central tower of the game. Uh, for example, the uh, young girl character whose name escapes right now, unfortunately, she actually communicates with the Yggdrasil tree and, and instructs her to head off to the tower uh, to discover what's happening to the land and why things are starting to die out. I don't know what the other two stories are. I haven't really played this one as much as some of the other games. But um, I do remember from what I played of it that there is that kind of the mix of action RPG and puzzle solving gameplay. A little bit of platforming too. It, it reminds me of what 
Memories of Celseta did, just in more of a 2D style with, a, or rather not 2D style, excuse me, in like a 2.5D style where you have your characters as sprites, but the environments are like uh, 3D designs, everything like that. Um, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about E's Origins since I haven't really played much of it myself, but I will, I definitely have to say it was interesting that they did a game like this too, to sort of flesh more on uh, the back. Or flesh out, excuse me, the main goddesses from Ease One and Two, and try and give more context to um, the land of Ease itself, which is what the series is named after. Because I be- um, and you know, just kind of kind of give you a bit of a, hi- a history lesson, I guess is the word I would use. I don't really know. In- anyway, I think it's an interesting idea, and it's one that I do want to check out eventually, and you know, give it a proper playthrough. But uh, what about you, Platt? Do you have anything to say about this one? This is my only ease experience. I thought I would uh, ease into the series with this game. Um, last year, I had it on my Vita. Still have it on my Vita, as well as a couple other uh, ease games that were on the Vita in the past. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Origins, that's why not start from the beginning? Um, and I did. I played the female character. I got through the first boss, um, and that took me about six or seven tries. <laughs> <laughs> and after about five hours of doing the tower a cup like just that whole first area like twice because i think i saved or i got lost and ended up like right back at the beginning i was like how the heck did i get right back here um yeah i, I i'm not very good at any sort of uh action rpg especially not in the 2d realm so i, I did play for about five hours i, I might have made it to the second boss but I, I was getting so turned around in that tower. It, it was but, neat. It looked beautiful, but man, I was lost. Yeah, it's like after playing it for the little bit that I did too. It was really different from having played some of the other ones. But I mean, you gave it the old college try. That's what's important there. <laughs> I did. One day, I'll probably go to some of the more re- the more modern games. Although that that one was actually pretty modern, but the more Adol centric ones. I am going to pop in here and say that there were two publishers for Origin. XC Games took care of the original release, but the publisher .emu took care of the more recent releases, the ones that are on the PS4 and the Nintendo Switch, for example. Mm. You play this one, Matt? I played it for about less than an hour, honestly. <laughs> I really couldn't get into it that well because I had just got done playing Oath and Felgana. And it just... I'm used to eight all. Mm-hmm. Let's just go with that. All right. So if we are done with the origins, Matt Craft, you want to uh, lead us into the original origins of the series, the uh, OG one and two? Yep. The reason why we say OG one and two is because although yeast or ancient, I think it's ancient land of yeast. It's complicated. But Yeast originally <laughs> released in the early 80s, came out on every single game system that could play it, including a toaster. And I'm not kidding; it's on everything in Japan right now, and a lot of a lot of places in the U.S. You start off as our favorite red-haired stepchild, Adol, who goes to the lands of Hysteria, starting out, or modern-day Britain. Yeast itself is a sprawling series with remakes revamps, re-releases based on the travelogues of our hero of the day, Adol Christian or Adol the Red. Fight, gaze and fight with wonder through the, very, I mean, through the varied graphics that are really quite revolutionary for the NES and beyond. 
as he travels the world saving each place as he goes. Yeast 1 and 2 is his first adventure where the series starts what I consider to be the shipwreck survivor trope as Adol washes up on the shore of an island before Link. With no money, <laughs> no equipment, and he must start from scratch as he journeys through Hysteria and the it, I can't say it, through the at, through the namesake Siri country of East. You're going to be frustrated, however, as it is old school, and you literally have to bump into the enemies to damage them. One and two obviously are separate games with pretty much the same combat. You bump into enemies, you get equipment and items throughout the games, you gain experience. Most of them, excepting the NES ones, actually have animated cutscenes, some has voice acting. It's really just, they did a really good job on it and they released it as much as they could. And the US itself got copies on the NES, the Sega Master System, ye old MS-DOS, and once again, in Japan, anything that can play Doom has it. The dual <laughs> title, Yeast 1 and 2 Ancient Vanished, I do believe it was, was released on the TurboGrafx-16 with updated graphics, fully voiced cutscenes, and an updated translation. We later saw it come to Windows for Steam, the PSP, and a copy made it to the Nintendo DS. You can also buy it on your mobile phone. Oh, that must be fun, doing bump combat on your mobile phone. <laughs> you guys got anything to add for it? It's old. Y'all definitely played it. I've played a little bit of one on the on my uh, Vita, but uh, I, I what the hell was it? I got up to meeting... Uh, oh, gosh, what's the blue-haired girl's name? Fina, like the first one you meet. Uh, anyway, I got up to the point of meeting her, but I got distracted by other stuff, so I never really got that far in it. But I did like how it was... Um, you know, I want to go back to it at some point and see, you know, how the start of the adventure was for at all and, like, how um, the series got... You know, how it started off. Because it, it's kind of like... Um, we were talking about this a bit before we started recording. The E series kind of reminds me of Dragon Quest, but more of an action RPG sort of vibe, where, uh, you know, the stories are pretty straightforward, but the way they're presented and, like, the way the games are handled, it does, you know, make it interesting. It makes you go, like, oh, I want to, you know, see more of this, or, you know, I want to see how things are going to play out. So I, at some point, I would like to go back and uh, play 1 and 2 properly and, you know, see how the series, you know, got its start. Kind of like how I eventually went back and played Dragon Quest 1 and 2, for example. And from what I understand, these I games still... are what, maybe five hours long or something like that. No more than ten. Uh, yeah, I've heard they're not like, obviously they're not by, by today's scenes, you know, they're not super long. But honestly, you know, if they are about that long, that would be actually, you know, a good way to uh, play them. Because really, it's kind of nice, like, you know, just talking about Dragon Quest again real quick. Like playing like one of the older games and, you know, it doesn't take forever and ever just to get through it if you want. So if you want that quick RPG experience, you know, you could pop those in. So, hey, if the first game's only about five hours or so, then, you know, it might just be the perfect thing to play. Then if it's like, oh, I need a little bit of a action RPG sort of vibe, you know. It's pretty easy to kill an afternoon with East 1 and 2. All right. What about East 3? Oh, boy. Well, in East 3, it continues roughly about two years after the ending of East 1 and 2. Adol decides to start traveling the world with who is now going to be a main character of the series, the blue-haired character Dogi, also known as Dogi the Wallcruster. 
Based on which version of Yeast 3 you play, as there are copies of Yeast 3 available for the Super Nintendo, the TurboGrafx-16, the Sega Genesis, and I do believe the Sharp 68000 got a release. I'm not too sure on that one. However, you basically travel to what is the rough equivalent of the real-world Germany. By the way, Adol travels to what basically will be real-world locations, ranging from Germany, Africa, stuff like that. Eresia yeah, is Eresia is actually based on Britain. Anyway, sorry yeah, about that. that. Is, you were saying? Uh, oh, just to real quick say, jump in and be like, it is interesting from having played some of the games and like seeing those comparisons because when uh, I'll, when playing like Ease Eight, for example, there are parts where. Uh, Adol can tell uh, his party members and stuff about some of the places he went to and he can see like little maps and details of it or like how the way they're spelled. It's like I wonder if that's supposed to be like Africa or if that one's supposed to be uh, a European country and sure enough when looking up into the series and you talking about a two-man crap, it's like yep that's exactly what they were going for and I think that's a really cool idea actually that they did that sort of a real world kind of like how and I know we keep mentioning it, but it's kind of like how Dragon Quest Three does that, where like the places you go in the game like look like the real world, but they're different enough that they're their own thing. <laughs> Everything except for Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't keep bringing up Dragon Quest so much, but I mean I can't help it because we're a Dragon Quest podcast technically. So <laughs> there is anyway, a lot anyway, of similarities. Go ahead and Trust get me when I say there is a lot of similarities. Yeast yep. 3 also completely changes the gameplay of the series. It goes from the pushing everything around to a, I guess you would consider it a side view battle system. Similar to the best comparison I could go ahead and give it to would be, I think it's called Dragon View. It's a Super Nintendo game, side view, kill everything in sight. Adol travels through Germany, or Garmin, in the most recent release, I do believe, saving Dogi's hometown, which is called Redmont. It's it's different as far as RPGs go for that day. It goes from the normal yeast standard of pushing into everything to slicing everything into a million pieces. It also goes to more of a hub-based gameplay, as the main town is the hub that you go through. It changes in future releases, obviously. Now, Yeez 3 also saw a re-release. Going a little bit forward, Yeez 6, Ark of Nepishtim, its overall system, like the game system, is used for both Yeast Origin and what is now known as Oath and Felgana. In Oath and Felgana, you go around the Garmin region, saving Dogi's hometown. It's literally the same thing, only it's a lot prettier, and Adol has a lot more stuff he can do. It goes from a basic, sli- um, a basic slicing, dicing, 2D to the more 2.5D that you're familiar with with Origins and Y6. It also includes a combo system and all kinds of neat little magic spells and stuff. To a point, it's also kind of a Metroidvania where you go back to locations with new items and equipment to get further into the game. 
You guys have anything to add? Y'all play it? Um, I don't really have anything to add onto that one, but I do have a funny little bit of trivia, just because you brought up Metroid. So if anyone ever plays an Ease game, and if you're familiar with the Metroid games, just pay close attention to the the little jingle that plays whenever you get a new item in Ease, because you'll notice it sounds an awful lot like a getting item jingle in the Metroid games. And that's gone, that's a detail that has definitely gone uh, noticed by like ever, like I after playing Metroid and then going back and playing the Ease game, it's like holy shit, these are like the exact same song with just a few slightly different notes. <laughs> and I and Yuzo Koshiro, who was the composer for the first few games of the series, he he definitely must have been a big fan of Metroid because he snuck those in. And he was able to sneak in that like rearrangement of sorts for the victory or, or not the victory theme for the item acquiring theme in uh, for premium. And, and it's stuck with the series, too. So you play one of the more recent Ease games, you're still going to hear that Metroid-esque song. <laughs> I just literally had to mute myself because I was laughing. You it literally dawned on me while you were saying that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty blatant, but <laughs> um, I did not even think of that. Oh, yeah, like, what What the hell was it? When I played um, Memories of Cell Setup, when I first heard that thing, it's like, wait a second, that sounds like the that sounds like it's from Metroid. I then looked it up, it's like, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> so definitely Yuzo Koshiro is definitely a big fan of Metroid because uh, he, he got that in there, and it's been in the series ever since the beginning. <laughs> as far as Oath and Felgana goes, you can also thank XE Games for favoring the fan translation community as they used and bought the right I don't know the rights or if they just paid the guys for doing it or whatever but they actually used a fan translation to base Oath and Felgana on as a couple or a very few ardent fans translated it for us way before it even came out in, in proper English now if you're going to play Yeast 3 Oath and Felgana is wonderful. You're going to have a very solid action RBGE time. However, if you want to play it as it originally was meant, I recommend the fan translation of the TurboGrafx-16 version, which actually has really good voice acting, although it's all amateur. Hmm. Yeah, this uh, fan translation and becoming the official translations, uh, that'll be a theme we come back to when we get into when we get out of the E series later. Falcom's got some uh, dedicated fans out there. They do. Yes, they really they do. do. Yay, Falcom. All right. What does that bring us up to? Ease 4? Yep. And once again, Ease 4 has several releases. However, it's kind of different from Ease 3, where it simply came out on different systems. While Yeez 4 also came out on different systems, it was handled by two separate different two separate translation translators. I do believe they use something called Tolkien House. Let me see right quick. I have it written down here. Wow, I can't believe that J.R.R. Tolkien helped write the game. I can't that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien okay, House, sorry. man. Tolkien I mean, House. Tolkien. <laughs> Tolkien. It's, it's similar. Tolkien. Tonka, well, you like know the, they the, sneak toy, in those... the big yellow toy trucks. <laughs> Tonka, <laughs> Tonka, Tonka trucks. <laughs> <laughs> I just now imagine like just like with the Tolkien thing that they just like snuck in hobbits and things like that. <laughs> they just changed the enemies to the Black Riders for like no goddamn reason. 
<laughs> anyway, all right, sorry, we, saw two, we actually saw two separate releases of Yeez 4, neither of which came to the U.S. However, they both were translated, thanks to the ardent efforts of fans. Yeez 4 Mask of the Sun was brought to us thanks to Tonkin House, and it was a good bit shorter than the other version. It basically goes back to the original Yeast 1 and 2 narrative, where you bump in from a top-down perspective, bumping into amenities to call damage. However, it introduces a magic system where Adol can equip different elemental swords to attack various, si various enemies and use different kinds of magic. This is reused in future Yeast games. Now, Yeast 4, the dawn of Yeast, is a good bit more fleshed out as the world, as it, as it would be. It uses the same magic system based out of Yeast um, that brought in from Yeast 4, but it also brings in elements from Yeast 2 as well. The dawn of Yeast is very, very different. It's longer, incorporates more the original setting. You actually journey to the original, you can actually go to the original land of Yeast and through Asteria. And it also was released on the TurboGrafx-16, thanks once again to an ardent fan translation with voice acting. Now, Yangus, I think that you played Memories of Saleta a lot more than me. Yeah, so... Memories of Celseta is the remake of, of Ease 4. And it's an interesting case because they actually took a lot of the elements from the both versions of the game uh, that had previously had come out and put them together into one cohesive um, experience. So we were talking about this just a little bit before we actually started recording as well. But uh, just to give you like an idea, for example, uh, one of the things that was different is one of the main characters who becomes a partial antagonist in the game. I forget his name off the top of my head, unfortunately, but he's an angel-esque sort of character, kind of like the twin goddesses from Ease 1 and 2. Uh, he actually is a full-on villain in the older versions of Ease 4, I believe in the Dawn of Ease. Uh, and uh, excuse me, Mask of the Sun, of Ease 4, Mask of the Sun. He's like, a, he's a primary villain primarily a villain in that one but in memories of salsetta he is actually uh changed into being someone who was like the guardian of the salsetta region sort of like how the twin goddesses were the guardians of uh, their region of the world and he's one and two um but then they showed that he also has to deal with a dark side of himself that is being influenced by the presence of this mask of the sun which is again an element that was introduced in one of the older versions but they decided to combine all of that, plus some of the other stuff from the original version of Ease 4 into one experience. And really, with that combination, it then helped better play into uh, the current mythos slash timeline that the Ease series goes for. Uh, the interesting thing about the Ease series that I have found when playing it is that the games aren't necessarily in chronological order. Like Ease 4, for example, it does take place after it, but like Ease uh, 8... That actually is one that takes place, I found out, it takes place before, uh, I believe it's E6 or 7. It's whichever one that takes place in, like, the more African-inspired country. Um, 
Ease 8 actually takes place before that one because there's an event in the game where Adol will say that, you know, he really wants to travel to that region of the world. So that adventure hasn't happened yet. And I thought that was interesting, sort of learning about that uh, from having played some of the games in the series. Um, That all being said, this is one that we actually talked about back in our Vita episode of Slime Time SideQuest. So if you want to hear more about that, uh, go check that episode out. But to uh, just quickly summarize like my experiences with the game, this was actually the first Ease game that I properly played. Uh, it was one I bought just kind of on a whim. It was like $20 brand new for the Vita. I ended up picking it up. I played through it all uh, within a, a pretty quick time frame. I didn't like wasn't like glued to my Vita or anything, but I did play it through it pretty quickly. But I really enjoyed the experience, too. Because it was, I'm not really much into action RPGs, but it was a really good game to just pick up and get used to. And I found that it was a, a great starting point uh, for the Ease games, uh, particularly the more um, action-y focused side of it versus like the older style with like the bumping gameplay for fighting enemies. So, but yeah, if you want to hear more about this game in particular, uh, go check out our Vita episode. Uh, this is one that I do recommend if you're wanting to check out the series and you're looking for a good like starting point. Uh, this is also this is a game that's available on the PlayStation Vita. There's the PlayStation 4 version, which came out last year, I believe. Uh, it's available on PC, and I think that XSeed is trying to get a, Steam, a Switch version out. I don't don't quote me on that one. I could be wrong on that one there. But at the least, if you're looking to play it, you can easily get it on your PS4 or you can get it on uh, your PC via Steam. When it does come out on the Switch, I will be in the front lines for it. <clears throat> All right, we ready to move on to number five then? Oh, Mumble boy. number five? <clears throat> Let me rub my hands together for this one. <clears throat> Yeez five, Kevin. <laughs> The Loss of Sand. Journey with Adol, going back to the desert setting of Xandria, to a top-down system once again. However, he actually slices his sword around things, a la Yeast 3. Yeast 5 adds a robust magic system where you mix various crystals that you find in different effects. It saw a few re-releases, including an expert version for the NES that's a wee bit harder, adds some dungeons and stuff like that, and I have not seen the PS2 version. However, it is fancier and incorporates everything from the expert version. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say the expert version was on the NES? Yeah, that I got <laughs> that. I heard that too. <laughs> so what, I think that's pretty funny, actually. Yeah, they released the expert version on the NES. That's the hardcore version, man. Is <laughs> uh, it the PSP or something? I actually meant the SNES. My apologies. Oh, okay. The Super Famicom. Okay, okay. I was like, wow, they were still doing five back in NES days? Uh, dang, they were they were flying through this series. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything anything sounds like it had a more robust magical system, like you said. Uh, anything else of note? Did they did this for PS2 as well? They actually added everything from the expert version on the PS2 version, as well as in the very beginning of Yeast 8, there is a distinct... And I do mean very specific reference to Yeast 5 right in the beginning of the game, but I'm not going to spoil it. You have to play both versions and see it for yourself. All right, so eight references, five. At the very beginning. 
Right. Yeah, and that was part. That's part of the thing I was kind of talking about too before, where um, the games have like sort of an odd chronological order to them because Ease Eight does take place after Ease Five, like story-wise for Adults Adventures. So just a little, mm. little bit of trivia there for you. It also continues on Adol looting every single thing he has, washing up on yet another continent or island or insert item here. <laughs> Gee, I'm sorry. I lost the equipment that I used to save the world in the last game, even though there's none other like it. What else am I going to do this game? Oh, yes. Yet yet another thing, another trope that we'll come back to with the, uh, we talk Legend of Heroes and the Trails game. Like, oh, it's Trails in the Sky too. Where's all your equipment and Orbal stuff? Oh, they just upgraded all the Orbal stuff. So everything you had in the first game is like, set it aside. You yep. got to use new stuff. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what? That new they did it in uh the Crossbell games too. You go to the second Crossbell game and you go to the uh Orbal store and they're like, "Guess what? The new model just came out." So, here you go. Here's your new models. Oh, sorry. All your things that you had on your old models are incompatible at this point. For That's how they get to reasons. It's yep. just it's like the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like real life. Gosh, remember in the days where you had to like manually move all your contacts over from cell phone to cell phone? Yep. It's always or, lost it's always my phone. Funny. Need all your numbers. It's funny whenever I've uh, just for a quick side story here uh, for what I have to do for my job. I help train people every now and then. And when I had to show one of the younger people how to use a landline phone, they looked at it and they're just like, just like, well, where's the button to push to start talking to somebody? It's like you have to pick up the <laughs> receiver to start talking. Oh, was there a quick dial button? No, you have to dial the number. <laughs> All right, we can't be that old. Come it's on. It's like, man. oh, my God. It, 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 this is someone who's not even that much younger than I was. Like, oh, my God, that's sad. Anyway. How could you... Anyway, let's not throw people under the bus for something like that. So, uh, what's the next one we're going to talk about? What's the next game? Uh, if my uh, counting ability is correct, uh, we're up to E6. What? No. Don't you yep. know anything? Five and a half comes next. Then six. <laughs> well, I did teach advanced math for quite a while. Apparently, oh. advanced enough. <laughs> <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, E6 is going to be next. So, uh, take it away, Mattcraft. <laughs> okay. Once again, Ye6 continues several series tropes as starting with multiple systems releases, however, all in English. We saw, and they're all the exact same game, however, the PSP version adds a little bit more flair. Same for the PC. Ye6 originally came out on the PS2 as Ye's The Ark of Nepishtim. For the first time in the series in the US, Yeast goes full 3D with Adol going crazy on every single thing he sees on the overworld, with a fancier battle and graphic system which is later reused for both Yeast Origins and Othenfell Ghana. You travel through the Storm Vortex into the Canaan Islands where Adol loses all of his equipment from the, per from the previous game in order to search for the myth mythical Ark of Nepishtim for him to just simply leave the islands and shipwreck somewhere else. Don't you hate when that happens? Hey, you know, it's the life you've chosen here, Adolf. Yep. <laughs> well, does he, he lose his memories out. in all these games too? Um, nope. Just he to... does actually actually he does lose his memories in specific games, mainly like uh, memories of Salsetta. 
Actually, the whole point of that game is that Adol ends up waking up in the middle of the town, can't remember anything, and as you play through the game, you start recovering his memories of what led him to uh, Celsetta slash um, why he lost his memories in the first place. I think that's the yeah. only one, however, where that happens. Could be, yeah. There are some He's... other games where they like he starts experiencing the memories of uh, other characters, but I, as far as I know, that's only um, Ease 8, uh, Lacrimosa of Donna, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yes, even I know that Ease 8 does not come after Ease 6, or 5.5. What about 3 quarters? Ease... <laughs> Could be. Trivia, Ease 8 actually chronologically comes after 7 and before 9. Ooh. But I know, right? Ye6 yeah. introduces the character Geiss, which we will also see in 7, a mercenary with a giant halberd who becomes playable. Sounds That's like a good really segue to E7, right? <laughs> Yangus, why don't you start with 7? You might have played it more than me. I have not played E7 at all. Oh, boy. <laughs> the only ones that I've played are a little bit of Origins, uh, Memories of Celsetta, uh, Lacrimosa of Donna, and like an hour of Monstrum Nox. <laughs> well, Ye7 brings into what we now know as the series normal of a party. Starting on the Altago Island Archipelago, Adol is once again, while not shipwrecked, imprisoned by the series-spanning Ramun Empire, who simply just wants him to stop adventuring, period. Where he is known as Adol the Red, Adol travels through the Altago Archipelago, reawakening ancient evil, fighting it, and, and basically just beating the crap out of everything with his best buddy, Dogi, and several party members, including the guy I mentioned before, Geis. However, I don't have anything else on 7, except that it had a special release on the PSP. All right, so 8. 8's probably got some good information, right? Yeah, so this is actually one that I can talk about. because <laughs> One, because I've played it uh, twice, technically. And two, um, it's actually one of the ones that I've com uh, completed for the most part. I say most part because I have a bit of a story for this one. So when I originally got Ease 8, I got it on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, I got it um, around Christmas time the year that it came out. I was trying to find a physical copy. I found the Vita version. It's like, okay, cool, I'll get that. I don't really have a lot of Vita games. And it's been a game that I've played on and off. Uh, just a quick little side note here. If you want to hear more about this game in particular, uh, for a more full re like recap for me, yeah, you can go check out our Vita episode. I talk about it more there. Um, but anyway, get back to the story. So I, I've played the game on and off for the past few years, working my way through the Vita version. I eventually got the PS4 version uh, digitally when it was on sale once. And uh, going back to the Vita version... You know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm pretty far in this one. I'll try and beat this one first before I try and get back to the PS4 one. And I was doing pretty well over the summer this year. I was making pretty good progress. I looked into it a bit. I was getting closer to the end of the game. And uh, during the summer, I had reached some good story points where it's like, okay, cool. You know, now we got a full party. Uh, we're starting to learn more about the world, blah, blah, blah. Lots of good stuff going on. Well, then it got to the point where... And I'm just going to put it really bluntly. My Vita decided to uh, <laughs> no. completely fuck up my memory card and its internal memory. So I completely lost my like 45 hours of playing the game. And I lost a lot of other stuff on my Vita as well. And I was really kind of... It was very disheartening to actually try and go back to Ease 8. Like, it's, it's actually because of that that I just been like, fuck, I'm going to start playing Ease 9 because I just don't even want to bother. But then I'm like, no, mm. I need to go back and finish Ease 8 first. You know, I got that far. So I went to the PS4 version instead. 
Uh, so yeah, I was really disheartened by that over the summer, and I'm still kind of sore about that and the Vita, and I really don't like that little system anymore whatsoever. Because <laughs> it's like, what the hell kind of problem was that, Sony? How'd you let that one get past? Um, like, get let, how'd you let that one slide? Like before it even released. Um, but going away from that and talking about the actual game itself. <laughs> Uh, uh, Lacrimosa of Donna, just to give a quick summary, is a game that takes place on the Isle of Cyrene. Uh, Adol ends up shipwrecked along with uh, uh, the entire crew and all the passengers of the Lombardia, or excuse me, of the SS Lombardia, as it was sailing across the ocean. Uh, the Isle of Cyrene has always been known as to be like a cursed uh, area of the world, sort of like, I believe, like kind of like the Bermuda Triangle. It's sort of the equivalent of what they have to, like, the real world. Uh, and everybody who goes near it, like, either disappears or gets shipwrecked. And a lot of people don't end up returning. Well, as Adol explores the island along with some of the other castaways, they start rebuilding a village. They try and build a boat to get out of there. But as Adol goes around the island, uh, he then starts having these dreams and experiences from the perspective of a young woman named Donna, who, as you later find out, is actually from this ancient civilization uh, that existed on the Isle of Sayrin and... The previous surrounding areas, uh, a good several hundred years before Adol's time. I won't go too much into story details about how Donna and Adol have connections, slash, you know, the plot relevance of all that. But this is one of the games where I would recommend it's a good starting point as well for the Ease games if you're looking to get into the series. Uh, it's available on PS4, uh, Switch, on PC. It's on Vita, but don't trust that system because it'll ruin your life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, you know what? My Vita, my original Vita memory card died too, but luckily it was after I'd already hacked my Vita and everything that I had on there was on a little 200 gigabyte micro USB card anyway. So I just popped the Sony memory thing out and it all worked fine again. So, yeah, I, yeah, I guess those Sony memory cards were, uh, it's a bad, those were a bad idea, man. It's a bad idea. I don't know why they did that, but um, anyway, uh, Ease 8, it has a lot of stuff that's like present in some of the previous games like Ease 7 or Memories of Self-Settle, which uses the party system. Uh, different characters have different strengths and weaknesses in combat to fight enemies. Uh, and in uh, Ease 8, you have um, different side quests and events you can do in order to help like further improve the Castaway Village and improve everybody's... Um, opinions of at all and stuff and if you want if you're looking to get like the best ending of the game really as long as you're making sure you're helping the people in the village and talking to them and doing like little side quests that are available here and there throughout the game you're gonna get the good ending no problem you know it's it sounds like oh man i gotta do a ton of work but really it's if you play rpgs and you like going back and like checking out stuff or seeing what changes uh as you make some progress like here and there you're gonna be fine I, I, from playing both the Vita and the PS4 version, I never missed out on anything uh, quest-wise or, like, story-wise or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, this is a good game. This is a game that I would recommend starting out with if you're looking to get into the E series. Uh, it's actually one that, when it came out in 20... It's, oh gosh, what year did this one come out? It was... 2017 or 2018, if I remember correctly. Um, a lot of people actually were putting this up. There's one of their favorite RPGs of the year, even though it was um, uh, such a late release in the year it came out. And it's, uh, you know, after playing it myself, even though I had my troubles with it, I, you know, I can totally see why, because it does have a lot of really good things going for it. Uh, I won't take too much more, so I'm not rambling so much, but uh, yeah, Ease 8 definitely a good one to check out if you have not played the series or if you're looking to try and get your feet wet with the series. Either one of you two played this one? I actually own a copy of Ease 8 on my Switch, and it runs very, very well. 
However, and we are not getting money from this, Yeast 8 is currently available on the Amazon Luna service. So if you happen to have Amazon Prime, or if you just subscribe to it and use Amazon Luna, you can play it on there right now, just like Xbox Live Game Pass. Nice. All right, moving on from 8, we've got the uh, newest Ease game, Ease 9, Monstrum Knox. We certainly do. So this is actually one of the games that I talked about um, when we did our games we're looking forward to in 2021 episode. Um, was that the beginning of the, Was that this year we did that episode, or was it the end of last year we did that episode? Uh, Platy, do you remember? I, I think it was early January, because our, our December episodes, we had back-to-back episodes on our favorite games of 2020 so i think that was our january episode of this year i think so it's been it's been like it's crazy that it's been a few months since it's been a long year like, <laughs> it has it's like was that this year was that last year i don't remember but um yeah so monster monox was actually one of the games that i was really looking forward to and unfortunately i haven't really been able to put a whole lot of time into it this year both from just other stuff coming up and other games things like that you know you know how life can be you, you plan on doing something but something throws off the the, pl- the game plan <laughs> but um as i said a little bit ago i ended up starting this game after i had my problems with ease eight just to you know get a start of it and see what the game was like uh so i played only about two hours into it but honestly it really was you know from what i knew about the game and what sort of my expectations were going into it it did end up meeting a few of them at least from the, the little bit of time that i played so uh I'm going to just try and stick to my script here that I wrote. This is my quick little notes. Uh, I'm definitely interested in seeing, uh, you know, what the heck is going to happen to Adol and why exactly he and Dogie were arrested uh, just for exploring the world. As uh, Matt Craft pointed out, uh, like the Ruman Empire is constantly going after them and is curious about Adol and why he keeps exploring around. And that's actually what ends up getting him arrested in the first place. But there's really not a full explanation given to you at the beginning of the game, like, why they're so interested in that and why they're so dead set on stopping him from going around everywhere. And I'm hoping that's something that's elaborated on uh, further on in the main game. Uh, from what I did play, you know, I felt very familiar after having played uh, Memories of Salceta and uh, Lacrimosa of Donna, but with a more uh, dynamic feel of the combat due to the new movement options, uh, both that Adol had and like one of his first party members had. And you get, uh, it's an interesting mix when you compare it to uh, the cold, sort of isolated world that the game has uh, due to taking place within the city walls of this uh, large prison city. Uh, it's very different from some of the previous Ease games where like, they're you know, more natural environments or these big open sprawling areas with green and plenty of colors. It's a really contrasting difference. And when you compare it to like how your party members look, it's kind of a... Uh, I don't know what term I would use, but like a clash of uh, ideas almost. So I'm I'm definitely curious to see if that's going to play like a bigger role within the game itself, you know, when I get back to it eventually. Uh, But from what little I played, I was interested uh, what was going on. And I'm definitely curious to see, uh, you know, how it's going to end up um, uh, playing out for Adol and Dogie and for their new party members that they meet and uh, for the people of this uh, prison city as well. Matt Craft, you give this one a try yet this year? Sadly, he's not only one that I have not played in any form. Alrighty then. Well, it looks like it's time to uh, ease away from this series because uh, we've hit pretty much everything that we had listed for ease. Um, so I know we got a lot of other side stuff that we're going to talk about at some point. And actually, one of those kind of points is coming up right here. But um, and again after it but we're gonna get into the other big series that uh falcom has their uh legend of heroes series 
And this is another one that goes way back in time and right up through now. And heck, they've got a stack of games, at least four of them uh, that are out in Japan that will eventually come to us. And I'm sure there's more on the horizon after that. But uh, Matt Craft, uh, as we so eloquently put it in our notes, <laughs> why don't you talk about old shit? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the, uh, the origins <laughs> of uh, Legend of Heroes before we get into the uh, more the ones that came before this millennium. Well, before you kids got to have your trails in the sky and of reverie and of really any other trails, Legend of Heroes came out right when the PSP did. They were, and I'm going to be honest, they were not the best translations ever. However, they hold a dear place in my heart. Starting with a very badly ordered Gagarv trilogy. Starring in the Gagarv region, which literally has a line cut through the middle of it, thanks to mythical fights between the gods of Bardus and Octum, the Legend of Heroes starts with the Tears of Vermillion, where you go through the area as Avon and Mile, which are the literal equivalent of the best buds trope, just literally going through the region and saving it. Cade Song of the Ocean is the second in the series and the third that is released in the U.S., Cage Song of the Ocean also uses your save data from both Tales of Vermillion and the next one and allows you to view side content, extra battles, and put people in your party, all kinds of wonderful stuff. But it stars literally a group of bards as they go through the region and save it once again. The third one, which is also the last one chronologically, is... Travels of the Moonlight Witch shows a budding boy and girlfriend as they come of age and come of love, as it were, traveling through the region, <laughs> finding about the ver the origins of said Moonlight Witch. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna I lie. You, cost, you, you, you constantly being like, and they're coming of age. They're coming. It's like, yeah, something else is probably coming, too. <laughs> oh, God, man. help it. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's just, it just, it just the, was really funny. <laughs> the Gagarv trilogy literally has so many tropes, it's unreal. It goes through every, almost every single trope imaginable, ranging from star-crossed lovers to, hey, I'm going to fight you guy. It's nutty. But I like cringe bait. I like cringe. And it is a cringe U.S.-based translation and honestly, they're really solid JRPGs. If you ever have a chance to play them for cheap, play them. But please do not buy them from scalpers on eBay. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of retcon some of the stuff you said here, because these actually aren't the original games in the uh, Legend of Heroes mythos. There's actually a couple Dragon Slayers games that uh, make up the Legend of Heroes 1 and 2 that came out in uh, 89 and 92, um, going back even farther before this uh, Gargrove trilogy. And this trilogy, well, it did, yeah, you're right, it came out PSP 
in the United States, it's actually all 90s games in Japan. Um, they came out on PC over there. They were on Sega Saturn, PlayStation, uh, Windows, uh, and it was just the PSP versions that came out in the United States. So, uh, yeah, this Legend of Heroes, at, le- at least in the uh, in Japan, has been out almost as long as Ease has when you go back to the original Dragon Slayer in 89. That is interesting that they were on the Sega Saturn because, you know, really the crazy thing about um, that old Sega system, the Sega Saturn, there's actually a lot of RPGs that got their start or that are orig- that were originally made for that system. Like you have, um, excuse me, you have like Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Survivor, um... Yeah, Grande, uh, Soul, right? Soul, uh, Soul Hackers, you have, uh, excuse me, yeah, say the whole thing again. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Summoner, Soul Hackers. Uh, you have Grandia, the original one, which is a, a Saturn game. I uh, now just learned that there were the kind of the start of the Legend of Heroes games on there. There's actually a lot of games that got their start on the Saturn that, even though that system wasn't. Um, like a big popular one. There's a lot of really good games on that system. If you look at that thing's library, RPGs in particular. If you really want to get technical on Dragon Slayer, the best comparison that I could give to it would be Tower of Draga, which was an arcade game back in the day. However, it was more of a dungeon crawl that had just simply action-based combat. But, uh, just like the early Yeast games, Dragon Slayer came out on everything from the oh, PC yes. 801 to the Game Boy. So before it came out on the Sega Saturn, it was on a literal NEC system, which was kind of weird. It came out on floppy before it came out on cartridge. <laughs> yeah, looking at the platforms on Wikipedia, you know, MSX2, TurboGrafx, Super Famicom, Sharp, XX, S8000, Mega Drive, Stellaview, Windows, PlayStation, Sega Saturn, virtual console releases. So kind of like kind of like the early uh, Ease games. It's everywhere. It doesn't list a toaster, but it might be. <laughs> I love Toaster. It's just constantly being brought up on this damn episode. I love it. <laughs> I constitute they anything. They can play uh, <laughs> Dragon Slayer. So what you're saying is that Dragon Slayer is the doom of RPGs. It's the doom of Falcom. It's the doom of Dark well, Souls that's Falcom RPGs. I got to say, yes, it would be the equivalent of doom. Yep. You know, I always oh, thought man. that Adol Christian needed a BFG while well, he was oh boy all right so if you haven't played that trilogy and uh i've got that sitting on my vita at some point i would like to you know at least go through the first couple hours i mean i've heard bad things about the uh translations and everything they were pretty rough back then and you know the gameplay is just you know your basic jrpg but hey i'm 20 hours into ass divine hearts of Kemco fame, and I'm almost done with that in the next hour or two. So uh, I talk about stripped down basic JRPGs. I, I've I've done 20 hours of a Kemco one. I'm sure I can power through uh, 20 hours of a Falcom one. If you can survive that, the Kemco one, you can survive anything. That earns you a pat on the head and a dog treat. All right, dog treat. <laughs> what, what flavor dog treat? The good what, stuff. Who was it? What was the one from uh, East Doggo? Do I get a doggo treat? A dog, you get a doggy treat. Doggy yep, treat. That's you it. get a doggy treat. All right. All right. 
Well, that doggie treat's gonna have to power me through because uh, it's time for me to take over the uh, the talking for a bit. I'm uh, sure Yangus will get in on this one too. But after we get through the uh, the trilogy that Matt Craft was just talking about, that uh, that was obviously not a uh, big hit here in the United States for the PSP, but it did lead up to the games that have become the big hit here in the United States, at least among uh, especially turn-based RPG fans. And that leads us to the Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky trilogy. Um, this begins... Uh, gosh, I can't... There's a whole arc here. I know it's Kiseki in Japan, but you've got the Trails in the Sky trilogy, then you go to the Crossbell duology, you've got the uh, Tetralogy of Trails of Cold Steel, and... Um, uh, I can't even scroll down in my notes far enough yet to uh, say what's coming out after that. Oh, of course, we got Trails into Revere. Um, then we got Kuro no Kiseki, which I don't even think has a name yet. But that's yet another who knows how many games that'll come about in the next um, country. But I, I kind of like what they did with this all, because how many JRPGs where do we play that, you know, What's the meme, you know, quest one, save the cat, you know, quest 78, kill God. Yep. Yep. You know, that that's the JRPG trope right there. But, you know, well, you do fight a very, very lot of powerful people that have godlike powers. Um, this whole trails in the sky and cold seal and everything, it just takes place on one continent. You know, you're in one country, you're in one continent. Crossbell takes place in one city and it, it's just all these neighboring uh, empires on one continent and that that you know this is very localized their problems are very down to earth um quest one is save the cat and actually like quest 79 is like find the cat's collar and then quest like 85 is you know kill the big bad guy of the game or something but you're still doing these small time slice of life kind of stuff all the way through and that's actually like kind of the charm of the games but mm -hmm. before I get going too much about that, you, so you've got this continent, um, you've got this gigantic Erebonian Empire, which we'll get to in the Trails of Cold Steel. Uh, south of them is a little country they had a war with um, some years before Trails of Trails in the Sky begins. It's the uh, Liberal Kingdom, and uh, the Liberal Kingdom is where Trails in the Sky takes place. They are known for their magical ability, and they've got all these orbital arts. You know, it's kind of like an industrial revolution taking part, taking place here, but through kind of magical crystal energy that they got. They're discovering electricity and magic kind of all at once. Um, the orbital system is what, you know, both allows them to use a telephone in the game and you stick them in and next thing you know, you're casting fireball and um, dark void spells and whatever. Yeah, it's just to jump in real quick, uh, Platinum. I definitely got the impression with the orbital system, it's kind of like their take on electricity or like you know basic energy functions. Because like <laughs> when you play this game, it's almost like uh, the series. It, it's not quite medieval, but it's not quite modern time either. Sort of like an odd yeah. in between. Yeah, they take this kind of big jump. Like you, you get the sense that 50 years earlier they were just you know going around with swords and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then here they are with our instantly having tanks, like boom, tanks and telephones. Mm -hmm. 
like the technology marched on very quickly all of a sudden for some especially for some of the regions of the world because uh we'll, we'll get to it in a bit with some of the later games but some of the places you go to you know they have a much higher technology and advancements compared to some other regions of the world so it, it, it's interesting seeing how that all plays out as you uh, make your way through like one of the game, like even just one of the games you can see that or as you oh, yeah. if you play through the whole series you can see just how drastically different it is depending on you know what game you're playing mm -hmm. so yeah trails in the sky it's a trilogy of games but really it's mainly a duology um that had too much story to actually fit into two games so uh they stuck a whole bunch of post-credit stuff into a entire third game that plays a lot differently than the first two games, story-wise at least. Um, but basically, it's the incestuous tale of a brother and sister that fall in love while battling some weird-ass shit going on in their quite liberal-minded open country, right? That, that's how you, you read this series? Yeah, it's... That's definitely <laughs> odd. So the game starts off, just to give a little bit of context, uh, um, like the first game does start off with um, Estelle's father, uh, who Estelle being one of the main characters, uh, he ends up bringing in this young boy named Joshua, who pretty much becomes um, the adopted brother slash adopted son of Estelle slash Estelle's dad. And then as Platty so delicately put it, there's uh, some interesting things that go on relationship wise between <laughs> <laughs> between that and it's kind of like um that's kind of odd but okay it's definitely uh, one of those I've... things where it's kind of like mm. hey you know adopted brother and sister kind of having some stuff go on hey don't we hit that again in cold steel well oh spoiler my god. okay <laughs> oh my god man uh, we'll, we'll get to that one we'll get to that but uh yeah so basically yeah the first game starts out you got estelle and joshua they've uh grown up together for a while because i think he was adopted around age 10 or something like that so yeah you know here they are somewhere between 16 and 18 they've lived together for so many years and they're going to become bracers like uh estelle's dad is and bracers are basically like this local hero group uh they go around battling monsters doing fetch quests and basically you know it's kind of like a jrpg hero bunch like hey let's all go to the bracer guild and help people um and the first chapter of trails in the sky that's how they title the game it's usually abbreviated fc if you look around in Trails in the Sky FC. That's the first game, Trails in the Sky 1. Uh, it's mainly about them rising in the ranks of the Junior Bracers. They're traveling around the liberal country, going town to town, solving tons of problems in each city. Um, a lot of times, you first thing you do, you stop in at the uh, Bracer Guild building, and there's a chart right there with a bunch of whole tasks for you to just check off. Um, they're not so much side quests as you got to do all these quests. Um, check them on off, and then that kind of puts the plot forward. Like a lot of JRPG stuff, while you're there in the town solving their little problems, there's some sort of big problem in each city, and then all these big problems, you know, you, you suddenly see stuff happening around that's going to be like an overarching big story thing going on. Um, and then you move on to the next city. So towards the end, they get really involved with a whole country spanning plot. Big bad guys, big group of bad guys. Um, some stuff gets revealed after you beat the final boss of the first one. But first chapter like ends completely on a cliffhanger and uh, almost quite literally as someone jumps off something that you might describe as a cliff. Um, and then the second chapter, the second trails in the sky Two SC second chapter picks up right away. Um, and my goodness, does this game reuse 
a lot of assets because you go back around to all the same cities doing a bunch of quests in all those same cities and uh, meeting a lot of the same people, doing more stuff for them, learning a lot more. It adds some extra areas so it's not just the same old places over and over again. Um, again, you're leveling up, you're raising your bracer rank. Um, both of these games have a ton of party members that kind of come and go. Like uh, you'll be going into one city and you'll run into one guy who's a bracer from another town. He's like, hey, I'm hanging out here for a while. Why don't I join you and do some bracer stuff? Um, and after a while, you get through the second chapter and this whole like countrywide plot becomes like a huge, huge deal. Um, and it's kind of weird because it's not like save the world or kill God, but it is a huge plot that, um, like I said, in other JRPGs would be like world destroying, threatening kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it's still taking place in one lake, in one city, in one empire. And when you play other games later on, you'd think that this was like this huge, massive thing going on in the world. And they're like, oh, yeah, there was some problems down in Liberal a couple of years ago. Guess that got taken care of. Yeah, it's definitely interesting seeing that perspective <laughs> um, when you play some of these games. Because yeah. like... Uh, and I know you haven't played the end of the second one, but like, holy crap, like the stuff that goes on in the second at the end of the second game could maybe destroy the world. Like huge implications, but like, eh, you know, just some problems in Liberal. They dealt it, with it. They dealt. Yeah. The Bracers took care of it. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. There was a point in um, playing Cold Steel 1 where there's a point where you go to one of the military bases and um, you talk to some of the NPCs and they're like, well, you know, the few years ago there was something going on down there in Liberal, <laughs> but, you know, as far as we know, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I heard that some people said it was really bad, but honestly, I think they're just like over-exaggerating. You know, it's something <laughs> like that. I haven't played that one for myself or seen that one, but <laughs> just hearing you talk about it, and from what little I do know about what goes on story-wise, it's like, uh, yeah, no, that was definitely not a little deal. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's these huge organizations like behind a lot of these events, and they're 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 like we woven through all the different games and different bad guys come and go because it's one of these games that very rarely does someone stay dead or defeated it's like oh you beat me see you later i'm gonna take off I'll, you know we'll probably fight again um and fight again they do in trails in the sky the third chapter um this is definitely a different type of game uh it's basically a huge wrap-up for all i mean i don't even know if they're plot holes but just stuff that's like hinted at in the first couple games there's basically this huge cast of playable characters. You get up to 16 people that you can move in and out of your party. Most of them are ones that you were able to play with in the first couple games, uh, plus some other people that, you know, you've met before. But, oh, hey, now you're a playable character for a while. And the main the main people go away from Joshua and Estelle. And you're Kevin, who's this like to me. He's the best guy in the entire trail series up to this point so far. <laughs> I don't know. He, he He's neck and neck with Lloyd, who I'll get to soon. But Kevin is like this warrior priest that um, deals with the really heavy shit going down against the church. And uh, it takes place. He's in this like weird. It starts off. Um, he's in an airship because, hey, lots of airships and trails in the sky. And but eventually you get sucked into this place. You're pulled out of time. You're pulled out into another dimension. Um, and there's a lot of random dungeon crawling going on. It's a lot of, you know, go from point A to point B. And when you get to point B, there's usually a big boss. And once you beat the boss, it's like, hey, look, I found this crystal. You take the crystal back to your little game hub. And, oh, hey, somebody else has pulled out of time to join you in this 
wonderful place. And they're like, wait a minute, I was just like eating dinner. Where did you guys all come from? And where the hell am I? Um, and you just keep unlocking all these players. Uh, it's fun getting all this interaction between them. And then you start getting these doors that appear. <laughs> it's a literal door. As you're going through the dungeons, uh, there's three types of doors. There's these moon doors that have really, really, really long story bits. I mean, comparatively, at least, they're like one or two hours of playtime. You'll be saving and coming back to these stories for a while. Um, there's a few, not, not so many of these moon doors. There's, I think, 15 of the star doors. Um, these are kind of shorter stories, things you can whip through in maybe 10 to 30 minutes. Not even all of them are battles so much. Some of them are just story um, that you see play out in a bunch of cutscenes or whatever. Um, and holy shit, some of these get quite deep. Um, the last one just is like... like I almost never have used the word trigger warning in my life, but holy crap, like the last door, star door in this game, if you get through it far enough into it, like that is a huge trigger warning um, for one of the crap that's one of the villains in the story has survived through. Because I'll tell you what, the, the this game and all the games in this series really don't pull punches. You got a lot of like child assassins, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years old, 10 years old, going out there, killing a bunch of people, bathing in blood. Yay, you know, um, there are so, no punches pulled. Just to jump in real quick, when you say triggered, are you meaning that like in the word of like you get angry about something that you find out? Or you mean like like you were just like so shocked for words sort of triggered like or, people or too who shocked have, for words, people that have like experienced childhood trauma. Like this is some deep shit that could like bring back some really bad memories. Oh. So, yeah, like that kind of trigger warning, like, holy crap. Like, I can't believe they're talking about this in a video game um, kind of stuff. Okay. And then, of course, you know, you can go in the sun doors for a little fun, play some mini games. There's some fishing competition to do in one of them. Another one, you're uh, in one of the Sky Pirate hopping in the back, kind of like a Star Wars. Like, hey, quick, go in the back and shoot down the TIE fighters. You're like in the airship and they're like, hey, go hop in the back and shoot down the people following us. And just one of the door mini games that you can play. So and it wraps up a lot of stories, a lot of people's uh, character arcs throughout and brings just a lot of closure to what went on during these couple years of uh, Trails in the Sky 1 and 2. Um, I really liked it. I really liked the character, Kevin, and what he brings. He, he was definitely my main character throughout this. And by the end, I was like, screw Estelle. I don't want to I don't want to hear about her anymore. <laughs> So, like, when you start this one off, then, because uh, I remember you telling me about this one so much, Platty, uh, do you start off as Kevin, then, or do you start as a star, oh, yeah. or do you get to choose? Nope, you start as Kevin. It, it, it starts with, like, this whole little casino airship plot. It starts off, like, an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing or something, because mm -hmm. he's, like, an agent of the church that goes around getting... Uh, uh, there's all these... Uh, in the games, there's a lot of stuff that... Um, technology wise like you know they're making these huge leaps forward in technology but also they keep finding things from a thousand years ago that's like super advanced in technology so mm -hmm. again another jrpg trope that's like oh look at this machine that we have no idea how this was created two thousand years ago but it was in the bottom of that uh old ruins from that time period <laughs> wow they had a lot of good technology back then wonder what happened to it all well keep playing and uh You'll find out. You'll so, yeah, find out today. <laughs> yeah. So Trails in the Sky 1 was your and my uh, first, uh, hey, let's start it and see who can beat it first game. It's the only time I've ever won, too. Was it? Yeah. 
We both played this in uh, the fall of 2017. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. It was. Yeah. So um, back in 2017, Platty and I just had the random idea where it's like, you know, we should just play something that we know that neither one of us have played. And it's like, oh, let's have it be a, a race. And by race, we mean we just kind of play it when we can and just see who beats it first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, we, it, I, I mean, our races have been very uneventful through the years. Yes, they they take they can take a long Starting time. Starting with the uneventful of this one too. Yes. So um, and what do you do? Give it like ten hours, and you're like, nah, it's not clicking with me. Yeah. So here's so uh, when we originally started this one, it was like, gosh, it was like summer 2017, something like that. Yeah, and, late summer. Because I think I, I have it written down that I beat it in by the end of September. Okay. So I prep. Knowing how long this is, I'm sure I started it sometime in August at least. Yes, probably like July or August we would have started this one if I had to mm-hmm. if I had to think back. Uh, anyway, when we had started this one, you know, it was one that we were both like, oh, you know, it's interesting. And it was a series that I had heard an- enough about that I was like, oh, I'd want to check it out at some point. But unfortunately, when we did start playing it, uh, one, the game really didn't start clicking with me right away, uh, mainly just because of stuff going on in my uh in, in real life for me and just uh, really not having uh, the, uh, the best experience at that time when we were doing this. So unfortunately my brain wasn't super focused on the game when we were playing it. So I really wasn't getting that into it. And I just kind of flat out told Platy, it's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep continuing this one. So I put the game aside for quite a while, but I did end up playing through most of it. Um, I see the last year or the year before I, I want to say it was 2020 when I was stuck at home for a while because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up picking it up again and I restarted the game and I actually was really getting into it because after having played through all of cold steel one, I'm like, you know what? I really need to go back and try uh, trails in the sky one again. And I was really getting into it, but unfortunately with the Vita issues that I had, I lost all that saved data. So at uh, this point, if I try, um, let, uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Trails in the Sky one again. I'm probably going to go with the PC version that's out on Steam, so I can uh, play one, two, and three. Then you know, boom, boom, boom. Or if it ends up coming to another system, maybe get it on there too. I don't really know. But uh, for this being a game like when I first played it, where I was just like, oh man, this wasn't you know super hot. Going back to it with a new mindset and you know things being a lot different versus when I first tried playing it, I was finding myself getting into it a lot more. And maybe it's because I found myself appreciating uh, Cold Steel a bit more. But I had a weird, I had the weird, uh, just by coincidence, having the same thing with that one, which um, we'll get to when we get to Cold Steel. But it was interesting going back and playing most of uh, Trails in the Sky one and seeing all that, you know, what was there and. You know, not catching a lot of the stuff that I caught the first time uh, when playing it, like how uh, Platy was bringing up, like how, you know, the, the characters can actually, or the characters and their problems can actually be, you know, a lot more down to earth and relatable rather than being like some of the more uh, fantasy sort of problems that you might see in like a, like a Final Fantasy game or a Dragon Quest game or, you know, a lot of other RPGs. So this uh, series, even though, you know, it does have sort of a, a few like, tropes from storytelling and uh, rpg wise that it, it does have a very relatable story and characters and that was something that i was really surprised by especially going back to it and it's like man i never caught on to that before mm-hmm. yeah i mean that, that's what I, i've got a whole list of like highlights of the uh trails in the sky series i it was always like you know there's a lot of great npcs tons of npcs and they've all got a ton to say um which helps with the world building um and some of them just keep popping up in game after game after game um they'll even span into the crossbell or the cold seal games you'll be like talking to someone you're like damn this side quest sounds familiar did i help this person before um or you'll just hear what they're saying i'm like 
that sounds kind of familiar. And then I like Google their name and type in like, you know, Legend of Heroes, this person and shit. They're in like three different series of that. Yeah. Um, and I know you like go back and read what they say because these games have so much text. The NPCs usually change their dialogue after every story beat. Mm hmm. There's they're not dialogue you can read. Yep. They're not just being like, oh, you know, this happened in town, but it was taken care of. And then they say that for the next 50 hours. No, they'll keep commenting on other things going on. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I got this as highlights of the series. Kids kill people, period. A lot, period. <laughs> there, there's a lot of assassins and the Jaeger corpse, um, you know, military people for hire towns wiped out genocide like it it deals with a lot of deep shit in these games yeah um, you even and, have stuff like um um oh, what they call that like arson with like because that happens in the first uh trails game or trails in the sky game where there's an orphanage that you go to yep. in i believe chapter three and uh you find it you first go to it, it's like oh this is a real nice little place blah 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 you go to it, you talk to the kids you go off to the next town. All of a sudden, one of the kids comes running into town in the middle of the night. It's like, oh, my gosh, the orphanage is on fire. Somebody help. Like, it's like they don't pull their punches. Like, all these poor kids that are outside just like, what happened to our home? Like, why would somebody do this? And you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, the farther you get into the series, you're going to meet a lot of kids that wish their homes were burned down. And that was the worst of their uh... <laughs> And like no shit, like it gets it gets bad. It gets it bad. does. It yeah. I, I, it gets really bad. It really does. Yeah. So uh, the battle system is actually one of my. Uh, it's one thing that's kept me going in the series. I really do love it. Um, it's got the arts and craft system in battle. Um, that's your the arts is your magic, and the crafts is basically like your special moves um, that you would do. You know. Sometimes they're special magic abilities. Sometimes they're special um, physical abilities. But the the crafts are specific to the characters. Well, the arts, you know, pretty much anybody can learn a fire spell or this. You know, obviously some of them are better at it than others and have higher stats in that than others. But the whole the whole combat, I've always said it. I, I know a lot of people don't compare this, but to me, it's always felt like an upgrade. Not maybe not an upgrade, but it's Grandia like. It's Grandia like. <laughs> There's not your little players moving along an action gauge. You you see all the character portraits and who's coming up in battle and what action, who's going to go next. But you can play with that order by casting a spell. It might make that person go like three turns later down the order. And if you cast a really big spell, they might have to go a lot more. But there's abilities that might make it take a lot less time to cast that spell or whatever. Um, and the whole thing... It's not necessarily on a grid, but your position matters. You you need to you may have to take turns running towards the enemies, depending on your starting position or, you know, running alongside them. And the area of effect of spells and attacks and everything is always something you want to take into effect. There's like boss battles that you definitely want to spread your people way the hell out so that mm -hmm. they don't just use one spell and nail four people at once. But then that. You know, by doing that, now they're not all near enough that they can use items to heal each other or their healing spell may not reach the other person. So there's a lot of strategy in just what's much more than a standard turn based battle system. Um, one thing that I've noticed with these games and I, you almost if you want to do everything, you're going to need to play with a walkthrough. There are so many hidden things in this game. Almost all the games 
are broken into different side quests in different periods and you have a list of tasks and side quests to do, but there's always hidden ones. And these hidden ones may be just like walk over to this town, which you wouldn't necessarily need to visit during chapter three, talk yeah. to this person, and all of a sudden they mention something and boom, you got a new side quest that gives you yeah. some extra points at the end of the chapter to get stuff. And all the games all have like a best weapon and the only way to get, or best armor or something like that. It's best item in the game. And the only way to get it is to collect all the books, you know, collect 20 chapters of this person's tale. And mm -hmm. honestly, a lot of those you do get just by walking into the town and going up to the item shop every time. But some, oh crap, if you haven't backtracked over to this gate and talked to this guy outside this gate after this action and before the next plot point, then he's not going to give you the chapter book, the book for that chapter. So yeah, and it, I always it, it sit there with the walkthrough, and I never do 100% anyway. <laughs> I still That miss sounds it. exactly like Dragon Quest, the later ones. Yeah, yeah. Like well, if you no, because Dragon, Dragon Quest, Quest 9, you can go back and get some of that stuff. Like That's true. Here, like, That's here, true. Like, this here's, here's is known with, for its missability. Yeah, here's the thing with the, with the Legend of Heroes games and trails. Uh, a lot of the times when you go into the next area you can get completely locked out of previous places and the yeah. game will flat out warn you like, Oh, if you continue on, then you're going to be, you know, moving on with the story and you're not going to be going back. Are you absolutely sure you want to do that? There is literally so, in the, in the trails in the sky, there are literal big gates that you pass through to go to the mm -hmm. next town area. And they're like, Oh, you know, you can't go back there for a while. Okay. Yep. It's like, well, too, all right. Good. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So like, like what, uh, Platty was saying, there are a lot of times where if you want to go for a hundred percent, you better have a guide like bookmarked or pulled up or something. Cause you want to make sure you're grabbing all those missable things. <laughs> if you, you know, want to make sure you can get like the best thing at the end of the game. Yeah. And Matt craft, I know, um, you, you've mentioned how there's so many fan translations out there. Um, and that, continues here with people fan translating some of the later games or the crossbell games I'll talk about in a minute. But also I will say there are some awesome fan walkthroughs that are 100% spoiler free, but just really make sure to like give you that heads up. Like, Hey, it's at this point, you must go to this gate and talk to this person or mm -hmm. you will not get this part. You know, you know, they really highlight it and keep it spoiler free. So, I mean, you can have it next to you and not be like, oh, crap, that's the next boss. It'll be like, do story stuff. After you've done that story stuff and fought a boss, then do this. <laughs> so there, there are some great fans out there with maps and all this kind of stuff. Um, one thing I really liked, because uh, Yangus, right about the time you were doing Trails in the Sky 1 again during uh, lockdown last year, that is when I just like plowed through two and the moat gosh 85 percent of uh the third game too yeah you um, did a lot you did like three of those back to back to back didn't you i was in 2020 i played trails in the sky 2 trails in the sky 3 um the entire first crossbell game and i made it up to the intermission chapter on uh the second crossbell game so yeah i i and then I was like, OK, man, I've just done so much this year. I probably played 200 hours of trails. I need to I need to pause for a bit. <laughs> um, but you know, one thing I really liked about this, and especially in Trails in the Sky 3, because, I mean, you start off not at level one, at least in that game, because they, they didn't weren't total jerks about it. And I, there was just so many items you could keep getting and going through these doors and getting all these things. 
man, I used magic, the art system so much, especially in two and three, um, playing around with the orbital systems they got. Um, all the characters have like this little system where they can have like eight different gems put in it and they're all in like different configurations. Some of them, their little orbital configuration is in a straight line. So you can put a bunch of gems in and get a lot of points and build up your fire or your wind abilities really high. Um, some of them, especially the ones that aren't really big magic users, theirs will not be in the same kind of shape. It may be in the shape of a Z, so you can't really put more than three gems in a row into building up their magic abilities, but they can be more of that jack-of-all-trades where you stack a few healing gems together, and so cool they can cast revive and cast magic, healing magic, but also have a couple other spells. Um, man, I, I don't think I've ever used magic more in a series than I have in this one, and just building up certain people to be like just blasting away um and then there's stuff you can do to lower your mp usage and everything and abilities that can regain your mp so i you can just keep making people um cannons that just reload all the time with their mp so i had a lot of fun with that with the sky series it's a lot of math involved there (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's um one of the things that I really liked about uh, with um, and I'll get to this more a little bit later too with uh, Cold Steel, Cold Steel. But I really like how with the art system and with all of these, oh gosh, what are they called again? I'm sorry, the little things that you make, the orbments. Oh yeah, the orbal system. Orbal, thank you. It's like yeah. an orb something. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I like the Orville system because, you know, you do get that flexibility for building characters. Um, just quick example, uh, and I'll talk about it a bit more later. Like uh, in Cold Steel 1, uh, one of the party members you get who is this uh, this guy named, uh, this character named Gaius, uh, I usually like to build him up as um, like a tank for the party. So I'll give him like the HP boosting Orbles. I'll give him defense boosting ones, you know, and let him be like kind of out front uh, in my party position while the other characters kind of either hang back or uh, just have like one other character who's more of like an attacker, you know, go up to help them while the other two kind of hang out in the background. So it's cool that you can do that sort of flexibility, like even with uh, the Trails in the Sky games that you have that sort of thing you can do. Because I remember making Estelle uh, sort of my like main attacker while Joshua, since they're pretty much your primary characters in the first Trails game, or excuse me, in the first uh, Trails in the Sky game, kind of had kind of had them have their own little role since they're always going to be like in your active party no matter what. Mm -hmm. So. All right, I'm going to move on to the Crossbell duology of games. Um, gosh, I don't, I can't remember what these are being localized as, but uh, I think Trails of Azure and uh, I can't remember the other one. And, and these are just names that have been given by the fan translations. Um, a group, the Geofront, set out to translate these games uh, years ago and kind of just finished up this year posted the second Crossbell fan translation and then pretty quickly after putting it up, yanked it back down because they sold their fan translations to uh, Falcom and or Exceed, right? That's who's doing the localizations now? Actually, the ones that are doing the translation or the, excuse me, the publishing of them now is actually NIS America. They've become oh, like right. the main... They become like the main Falcon. Uh, that's right. That, that changed in between. What is it? Cold Steel two and three. Yeah, I don't know what exactly all went down with that one, but basically, Xseed no longer was focusing on publishing Falcom games. But thankfully, at NIS America, a few of the people that did work at Falcom ended up going over there, and Moved so over, yeah. with that, they ended up. Um, becoming the main publisher for uh, Falcom games. So like now whenever you get like an Ease game, uh, like Ease 8 or 9, 
or any of the recent uh, Trails games, uh, you're going to see that NIS America were the ones that published it, which I, I don't know, like, quality-wise, like, you know, like, if it's very consistent with, like, from not having played their um, uh, Trails games that they published so far, but as far as their Ease games go, a lot of them are pretty, uh, fairly consistent with some of the stuff that was, uh, like, terminology or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that sort of thing from the uh, XSEED published ones. So, I, again, I'm not really sure how many people who were in work at XSEED that did those games went on to NIS America, but it's cool to see that there's, you know, a publisher that's trying to work hard to bring all these games over because they know that there is fan demand for it. So I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Crossbell duology, um, you're not Bracers. You, uh, it stars Lloyd Bannings. Um, he become, he's graduating from police school and instead of going straight into the police, he gets uh, pulled aside and he, they're like, listen, dude, um, we're going to put you in the uh, SSS division, the uh, special police, um, because this whole game takes place in the city of Crossbell. Like, y y you thought you were revisiting a lot of places, the same like four or five, six cities in the uh, Trails in the Sky series. Well, let me tell in the Crossbell duology, you're in Crossbell. The end. Um Crossbell is made up of like nine or ten little areas you run around in. Um, but then actually there are gates to leave the city. You go north, south, east, and west. And one leads you to a little farming town. One leads you um, to a mining town. One leads to a hospital. I can't remember where the other one kind of takes you. But you'll do quests into those areas for like entire chapters. And there's a lot to do. There's a lot of dungeons and stuff along the way. And even in the city, you're like in this building for a couple hours doing stuff in here or in this mafia hideout or whatever. Quick um, question. Quick question for you, Planning. Mm -hmm. um, for this, for the Crossbell duology. Is Crossbell, if I remember right from Cold Steel, isn't Crossbell its own like little country of sorts? It is. It's like a little city state. And okay. it is located, it, it doesn't touch the Liberal Kingdom, it's not over where you are in the sky, but it is between huger empires, the Erebonian Empire, which we'll get to in Cold Steel, and the Calvard Republic, which is coming up in the newest of the games that they're coming out with. They'll be focusing on Calvard Republic, uh, the Republic there, the country. And they're the city-state, um, because... <clears throat> they're at this crossroads the city's right there between these they are hugely a economic power um and that's seen with like the, the mafia is there and there's like crime syndicates from both other countries and politicians from both countries are always coming in trying to gain favor and even like their own little senate their own little city council has the whole erebonian part and the calvard part and they're always like vying for power there um in Crossbell is just like, hey man, we're, we're mainly an economic power. We're that city of trade in between everything else. Um, what is it? Not, uh, am I thinking Hong Kong or I think in Singapore? What was the one that was owned by the British for a long time and their own thing before giving back to China? Ooh. Oh, <clears throat> boy, what was that one? I think I know what you're but, talking about. Yeah, kind of how that city was pretty independent of China for mm -hmm. a long time. And uh, so thus is Crossbell. And they've got their own police force. Uh, they don't have an army per se. They have a defense force, um, a guardian force. And that's our second party member. You get Randy Orlando, um, who you find out. He's <laughs> got a, a backstory, but he, oh, God, that's a great. Name. That's a great name. <laughs> yeah, you got Randy, and he, he's a former guardian force officer um, that gets pulled into the SSS division. And you got Ellie McDowell, 
which is the granddaughter of a politician. And then you've got little Tio Plato, which, you know, talk about our child characters in our Trails games. Um, she's this Orville staff tester from uh, a local Orville factory that's, hey, you know, we're going to send her to be part of the police force, too. And so the SSS division of the police is, is their kind of like community outreach kind of thing. So what do they do? They get requests from all around the city and you do the requests just like you're a what? A bracer. So you're chapter by chapter. Um, you're doing a lot of the same things as the bracers do. And there is a bracers guild in the town. So you sometimes are like doing a job and the bracers are there too. We're like, oh, damn, the bracers already did it. Um, and you will meet bracers that you've met in previous games. And I, I don't know, just maybe even the more compactness, compactness of this duology, it really, really, really. I, right now, I would say that the first game is my favorite in all in, you know, the nine games that we're going to talk about today so far. Um, you know, maybe one of the later code seals will overtake it, but I just really like it. And it's pretty cool that about a year from now, people will be able to play this translated on Switch. Um, because I'm using a fan translation of a PSP copy out many, many years ago. But, you know, there's street gangs, there's special money, powerful interests, the local mafia, computer hackers actually take place in this because here we are, it's the Orbal Revolution. You know, not just electricity's going around, but you start communicating by some Orbal computers, and there's an Orbal net, and, you know... Once you start having the internet, things can people can start hacking that. So uh, you you start advancing that part of the uh, whole economy and everything. Um, so yeah, you get people from Trails in the Sky show up. Um, this game, these games take place pretty much, or at least the second game pretty much takes place at the exact same time as Cold Steel One, because some of the events from Cold Steel One happen in this game too. Um, yeah. Yeah, because more of Cold Steel Cold One Steel references one. this. Yeah, mm -hmm. but well, obviously because this game came out before Cold Steel One, it would not be referencing Cold Steel One. Cold Steel One would be referencing this. So uh, yeah, these games are coming out uh, 2022, 2023. Um, I'm going to try to get out, off my butt and finish up the uh, second game in this. Hopefully in the next few months, just to have this duology done so I can move on. But uh, the battle system is pretty much the same as you've had in the uh, Trails in the Sky game at this point. And just, yeah, that right now this is my favorite subseries. And that's saying a lot because I really did like finishing off Trails in the Sky, especially that third game and falling in love with Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Um, <laughs> but Lloyd Bannings, he, he's a great hero. He's just this plucky dude fresh out of the police academy and like, damn it, people got to we need to solve this problem. Let's solve it, you know. And, you know, plot wise, like I said, you're a city state between two huge empires that has lots of things going on. And, oh, you know, remember that evil stuff that was going on in a liberal before? You know, not all those people are dead yet, you know. Mm -hmm. So that kind of shit could happen, too. And with that, we're come to Cold Steel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say real quick before we jump in on Cold Steel that, um, when Platty was playing um, the Crossbell games, he was messaging me um, every now and then when he was playing them last year. And for everything he told me, and from what like screenshots he took too, it definitely looked like it would be you know a really interesting experience to play through and you know see how these games, uh, you know how their events kind of coincide with what's going on in Cold Steel. Um, even though you know you know obviously like we said Crossbell came before, 
the Cold Steel ones. But it's so interesting that then they ended up tying them both together, like both back then and when the Cold Steel games came out. So I think that's kind of cool. But I've also heard a lot of people who have played the fan translation of um, the Crossbell duology or know about the Crossbell duology. They often refer to them or the two games as like some of the best entries in the um, Trails series slash the Legend of Heroes series. And, you know, hearing your firsthand experience with it and how, you know, just playing the first game alone, you know, made you instantly go like, oh, this is definitely my favorite experience. You know, I mm-hmm. think that further kind of cements that mindset, too, that people have. Because obviously there's something that really works with the game, you know, that it's clicking with people so well, like, you know, with you after having played, you know, all the, as many other games as you did, you know, there's something that just made you go like, yes, this is the one, you know, this is the one that just really wowed me. Yeah, I mean, Trails in the Sky is good, but like if you want to look at like the definition of JRPG, that first game is like hits every point of a definition of JRPG. And I, I don't know if just everything's a little bit better or different enough in the Crossbell games. Um, you're not playing a 14-year-old kid. Yeah, you got the little T.O. in your group, but, you know, you got a guy fresh out of military academy. He's like 23 or something like that. He's probably younger than that, but whatever. But you've got, like, adults in this game, and, you know, you're part of the police. It, it's not just like, oh, we're going on an adventure. Um, let's rank up our, our bracer guilds and be a helpful person like sure lloyd is kind of like that but you're part of like you're part of the you're in the city you feel like you're you're part of the city and you got a sister and you've got you know that works over at the hospital and you know you're running into people that you've known your whole life but at the same time you've got this new responsibility you got a job and you're working a job Mm -hmm. it's not just like oh i'm an adventurer yeah i say that all blase but you know well, really, just, cool. it sounds like it's, it's all about you know, how it delivers that story, you know, how, how yes. it's uh, coming across uh, to the player or, you know, in your case, um, you know, when you were playing it and experiencing it, you know, how that came across to you. And I mm-hmm. think that's definitely like a big point of RPGs, too, like where you can like play something. And, you know, it, it really just depends on the delivery, I think, more than anything, because that's what's going to make or break whether you like a character or story or what have you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, anyway. Now we've come to the, I guess, third trilogy, or not trilogy even, because there's four games. Quadrology? Uh, quadrilogy. Quartet? Quartet. <laughs> i going to say Quintet, but that's another company. That's something else. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we are now the Trails of Cold Steel series. So this is kind of an interesting one because... Um, Cold Steel 1 and 2 are technically their own story, while Cold Steel 2 and 3, uh, or excuse, excuse me, Cold Steel 3 and 4 um, kind of bring everything together, which uh, Platy will talk about in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But um, for this part, I'm going to focus on the first two games, Cold Steel 1 and 2. I'm going to try and stick to my script as closely as I can for what I wrote up, just so I don't get too rambly or anything. But uh, anyway, here we go. So Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2. Uh, set in the country of Erebonia, Trails of Cold Steel focuses on the story of Class 7, a group of young individuals who attend Thor's Military Academy. Uh, Throughout their year at the Academy in the first game, Class 7 is sent across the country on field studies to see the many corners of their homeland and how vastly different the lifestyles of the people are. Uh, The nation of Erebonia is very divided on the class system, with nobles and commoners making up the bulk of the population. As the story progresses, the young men and women of the class uh, see how political tension is on the rise across the country, uh, both with the different classes, uh, with the different military factions, and with other forces uh, that are working behind the scenes. And soon an all-out civil war breaks out across the country, that splits the nation in two. Uh, this actually happens at the end of the first game, and with the building of tension of the first, with the building tension throughout the first game, 
uh, culminating in this civil war at the end of it, which then eventually leads us into the beginning of the second game, which, like Cold or like uh, Trails in the Sky One, uh, it ends on a cliffhanger with uh, <coughs> with Cold Steel Two, uh, beginning right where the first game left off. So working together and apart across the country, uh, Class Seven then does all that they can to help the people uh, they have come to know and love across Erebonia uh, as the first two games in the Cold Steel story play out. Uh, Cold uh, Class Seven is led by uh, Reen Schwarzer. Uh, the protagonist of the Cold Steel series. The other main members of Class 7 include Elliot, Emma, Alyssa, Fee, Gaius. <laughs> I'm sure that Fee was, or that cheer was for Fee. Oh, that yeah. Was the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, like uh, my there's... battle MVP. <laughs> and she takes a lot of naps. So, you know, right she there. <laughs> she is a very sleepy girl. <laughs> yep. Uh, but let's see. So after Fee, there's Gaius, uh, Machius, Eusis, and Laura. Later on, the class is joined by a young girl named Milliam and an older student named Crow. Uh, Reen is a kind young man who was adopted into a nobleman's family. Uh, he is a very humble and caring individual who tends to take his uh, more wacky classmates in their stride and find ways to help uh, help them break the ice between themselves and, in some cases, uh, with himself and their relations. And he shows true leadership and courage in many instances of the game. He's a more soft-spoken protagonist uh, compared to, say, Estelle from Trails in the Sky, who was, even though she, you know, she has big ideas, she can be a bit more rambunctious. Uh, but Reen will also put his foot down uh, when it's necessary and is very skilled in combat, uh, much like the fiery redhead before him. Uh, Reen has a lot of mysteries behind him, uh, such as uh, who his real family was prior to his adoption, uh, the strange raid, rage mode powers uh, he seems to have whenever he gets into a particular... Uh, a particularly dangerous situation and at the end of Cold Steel 1 he even gets the ability to call upon a power locked away at the bottom of the old schoolhouse in the Thor's Military Academy um, just on a quick personal note I actually do really like Reen as a protagonist and as a character he can be kind of oblivious to uh, a lot of the girls all having a big crush on him for some for like no real reason whatsoever just for, <laughs> which is definitely one of the things that kind of because it's a harem game. game yeah it's definitely <laughs> one of the most like eye-rolling parts of it for sure it's just like seriously it is but um aside from you know that thing happened that thing happened to the guy uh, he is the glue that holds uh his team together uh and holds them together until they uh start to learn to work together themselves without needing guidance and they learn to trust uh, what both they can do as an individual, and from what they've learned at the academy, uh, even it's after like the other slime time, where I was the glue holding it all together. But this year, you can have your own episodes, and Liam can have his own episodes. You've you've branched <laughs> out. You can do it. You are the reen of our group. That means you must have yeah. a lot of women coming after you. Ah, uh, yeah, not so much. <laughs> well, there goes that comparison out the window. Continue on. <laughs> that you should have been like, oh uh, yeah, a uh, ton of them. I, I, I should have just rolled with that. Yeah, I have fan girls coming out the wazoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, uh, even after you know a lot of them prove themselves, uh, Reen. Uh, let's hold on. Let me lost my place. Okay. Uh, uh, even after the others prove themselves as capable of so much more, uh, without needing the support of everyone else, or you know just flat out believing in themselves. Uh, Reen still remains a loyal friend, and uh, they remain loyal to him and vice versa. Um, I've seen others complain about Reen being kind of a bland character and not really, you know, being like as standout as some of the other ones and having stuff kind of handed to him. But I, I really do like Reen. 
Like that was when he was one of the things that even though when I first played the game, I didn't really stick with it for a super long time. Uh, when I played the Vita original version, uh, he was one of the things that I did like about it because he was more of a down to earth and a protagonist and didn't really let a lot of the things in his life, uh, you know, affect him too badly, or at least he never really showed it. Um, he's, Really not. He's not. Perhaps not the flashiest of characters, but honestly, he kind of reminds me of of um, a character who I also like, who's sort of the same way, uh, which is Ness from Earthbound. Uh, he may not. He may have like a lot of power and a lot of abilities under his belt, but at the end of the day, he doesn't let it get to his head, and he's a pretty down to earth person and very uh, friendly towards others. And I, I like. I like that sort of um, protagonist character, where even though they might have a lot going for them. They don't necessarily like let it ruin their uh, personality or affect them too badly. So I, I've always liked Reen as a protagonist character. I don't yeah, know what he's your a, he's a good are. he's a good leader for what is it class seven. He, he mm-hmm. I mean I, he's not a blank slate like uh, a lot of RPGs, but you know he he's kind of close. But you, you get a lot of you get a lot of good uh, interaction with him and the other characters. And I do like that he can be a little snarky sometimes too. I think that can be pretty funny <laughs> because um. Uh, what was it I was going to say? Like, part of why I also like him is actually thanks to his voice delivery, which is uh, performed by uh, Sean Chiplock in uh, all of the English uh, dubs slash translations for the game. He actually, uh, there was something I read where Sean Chiplock actually uh, did a lot of research on the Cold Steel games uh, when he was uh, doing a lot of the voice work for him because he wanted to make sure he knew about what scenes were ahead of time and what was sort of coming up so when he did his voice acting that he could properly match the scenes so i i gotta give credit to um sean chiplock for you know putting that effort in and trying to do the best he could with ring because he does I like voice acting wise he really does add a lot to the character that's you know not already present there uh but a lot of the other members of class seven are pretty good too uh, some of them are unfortunately don't get as much development as some of the other ones do. Uh, like poor guys, for example, he doesn't really get a whole lot of character development. But I did find myself liking a lot of the playable characters uh, from the game. I figured I was going to really not like it because it was giving me really Persona vibes, where um, you have a lot of classmen, you have a lot of like these high school age sort of kids. But I found that they didn't really, you know, dwell too much on some of the, you know, like petty stuff in their lives or like how it's some. You know, high schoolers would think is like the important thing. Maybe it's just because of how the military academy setting or something like that. But I, I found myself really liking a lot, like all the members of Class Seven, and uh, enjoyed you know what they all brought to the table, including Fee, which I remember telling Platty at first was a uh, one that I wasn't su- a super huge fan of. But then I, over time, I was like, oh, you know, she's a pretty damn good character, actually, <laughs> both in you know, combat the... and outside of combat. <laughs> yep. No, I. But, I, I... We did a uh, Cold Steel episode recently on RPG Backtrack, and everybody was giving me a hard time for liking Fee and uh, Millennia. And I was like, they're like, oh, yeah, you like the young girls, and ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, but, man, Fee's speed is ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. she can get in there and have, and her guns have an area of range attack. And so, like, she's always going first, and she's got, what, poison or something sleep or paralyze or slow down or something like one of her like most earliest craft attacks is a circular area of effect thing that does a good status effect and Mm -hmm. you know she can do it right off the bat or maybe it's got knockback um that may be it and then you got millennia who joins you know midway through and she's got a big ass freaking robot that just comes and like smashes the hell out of everybody in combat so yeah she's like the glass cannon character of the game because and that that's something i didn't put in my notes here but what since you brought i brought it up with your description of the characters like the thing that cold steel does really well i think um 
I don't really don't remember how it was like in Trails of the Sky 1, but Cold Steel really does a good job of sort of setting up characters to, you know, kind of fit a particular RPG role, but at the same time with the Orbal system, you can kind of tweak them a bit to fit into other categories if you want them to. So like um like I was talking about earlier with the Gaius thing, I built him when I typically used him in my party, uh, was more of like the tank character. But by default, he actually has a pretty good attack power. So you could also set him up to be, you know, a person that draws attacks, but he could also counter enemies every time he gets hit with something. So he could be, mm-hmm. you know, get hit and then just like, bam, he does like a huge amount of damage back to him. <clears throat> uh, you have a character like Fee, who's super fast. You can make even faster and have even more actions so she can, you know, really wipe out a lot of random encounters, uh, you know, before they become too much of a hassle or use her status element stuff. Um, one of my favorite characters to use which I didn't think I would like him at first, uh, was Machias, who is a character that uses a shotgun. Um, plus, he's also decent with magic. He actually gets some really good support abilities uh, that one of them, I believe, is called Time Barrier, if I remember correctly, which actually speeds up your action speed and lets you um, uh, get in some extra hits and stuff before enemies can act. And if you have his, um, I think it's his crafts meter, if I remember correctly, if that gets high enough, you can use it a few times in a row when it gets to his turn, and even though he's not necessarily going to be able to, you know, attack and act, the fact that he can help boost and speed up your characters so the other ones can, you know, get in some extra hits or, you know, do some extra healing, you know, whatever the case might be, it's really cool, you know, that there's that flexibility and how the characters are all structured uh, and built-wise. Like, another one that's a good support character's uses, for example. He's kind of your middle-road character, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, but with his abilities from his crafts um, attacks... Is it crafts that are the... Is that the right one that I'm thinking of? Is that like the crafts unique Crafts are like abilities? your special abilities, yeah. That's, okay, that's the unique ones for everybody. Um, like, his, a lot of his are actually ones that cause buffs for your party, so he's actually a really good character to use as more of a magic-focused character to, like, cast buffs on your party members with his crafts abilities and put some arts on him with the orbal system so he can then use uh, some other ones that he doesn't normally have access to or that he can act as sort of a backup healer for you, for example, if, say, something happened to, like, Emma or Elliot, who's in your party. So it's really cool that even though this game doesn't have a job class system or, like, you know, characters are, like, set into a particular like job role like say in the like other rpgs it's cool that then you can use that flexibility to uh fix them around but then you also can see like you know what uh play was talking about with fee you know being one of the fastest characters you can play to their strengths and figure out like oh okay you're kind of like the speedy character so you like this is what i kind of want to build you as so it, it's cool that there's that sort of um freedom of customization for it but uh let me see here uh so the first game is split across several chapters uh typically the routine of the chapter is starting at the academy uh in the hometown uh, you're doing some optional activities like interacting with npcs or other playable characters which can then help you, you know learn a bit more about those characters uh, help fill up like your journal with notes on everybody that you talk to uh you can explore the uh you end up exploring the old schoolhouse which helps advance uh the plot slash eventually gets you to uh like the, the secret power that i was telling that i was talking about a little earlier for reen which i won't go into uh, spoiler details on that one uh because it, it is a pretty big like whoa like that's you know really shocking thing to find out <laughs> but it's a pretty cool surprise too i was actually you know kind of taken back by that i was like well that's actually kind of cool um anyway towards the end of the game uh, this structure of narrative oh sorry i didn't finish up here uh so in the structure narrative for the chapters uh, after you do the schoolhouse 
Uh, you then end up heading off to the next area for a field study, uh, and then you rinse and repeat for a while. Uh, towards the end of the game, this structure is changed as there's a school festival that comes along that you help set up for, and eventually then you have this big end exploration of the rest of the old schoolhouse. Uh, the second game... Uh, actually goes into an act-by-act act structure, uh, go- giving the player a longer time to explore new areas and moving on uh, to the next act, uh, you know, once the main goal of that particular act has been accomplished. So, for example, like the first act of the game is uh, reuniting with old allies, which we'll just leave it at that. A uh, quick little side note, um, again, don't want to get too much into the spoilers here, but the ending of the first game actually did shock me quite a bit. So when you beat the, when you get to the end of the game, after you've done all of the schoolhouse stuff that I was talking about, you know, you finish that off, the festival's wrapping itself up. Then you get this pretty big, shocking bit of news. And hopefully, Platy, you know which one that I'm talking about without me really saying it. Oh, that, yeah. uh, you know, that something collapses, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was honestly kind of taken aback by that, like I said, because the way, uh, you know, whilst it you know, kind of seemed like something bad was going to happen on the horizon, you know, what exactly happened after how this particular place was perceived earlier in the game, it was honestly kind of like, whoa, like, what the hell happened? You do get an explanation, but it's still crazy to think that that was what uh, caused it then. It was was one of those story moments where, again, the delivery was, you know, really cool, I think, and really, you know, kind of sold the moment. Uh, Anyway, uh, combat uses the same sort of style that was in the other uh, recent Trails games, which Platy talked about a bit before, and I've mentioned it too, with, like, you're building your uh, characters. Uh, Party composition changes across each chapter in Cold Steel 1, uh, while Cold Steel 2... Uh, gives you more control on who accompanies you where as you head to each new area. Uh, there's lots of freedom for how you build your character, thanks to the equipment system and the orbital system. Uh, again, just for example, real quick, like I would use Gaius as a tank character, or I would use, uh, say, Alyssa or Usus for supporting focused, uh, a support focused character. Whether that was buffing allies, healing people, or debuffing enemies, you know, just kind of depending on whatever situation I thought was going to work best. Um, now, just a few. You know, I don't want to get too much go too much more because we've been talking about this one for a while. But uh, just these are a few random things that I happen to like about the game. I really enjoy the story and world building, which is something that these games do a really good job with, uh, as we were talking about with some of the past games. Uh, again, I really enjoy the character and combat building, which is one of, like a thing that I've really come to enjoy about RPGs, which is why. You know, stuff like Etrian Odyssey is one of my favorite series because a lot of that character building, you know, that's such a central thing. And uh, another big thing that I love about the game is the music. Like, we haven't talked about it too awful much uh, throughout this podcast episode, but Falcom Sound Team, they always do a pretty fantastic job with their soundtracks. And for them being, you know, a smaller studio, uh, even though they've been around for a long time, they really do put out some pretty great stuff uh, music-wise. I really enjoy, like, a lot of the town layouts uh, in this game, and a lot of them are very diverse and show the difference uh, with with the class system that you hear about throughout the game story and how it's illustrated to the player. Uh, one example that I really like is the city of Roar. Or Ro- 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 I'm not really sure how you pronounce this one. To be quite honest, it's it's R O E R. How would you pronounce that? Yeah, Roar. Roar. Okay. <laughs> it's it's Roar like a lion, but with an E instead of an A. <laughs> um, Roar is one of my favorite examples. As uh, throughout the game, uh, you're told a lot about how it's a very industrial-focused city. And sure enough, when you get to it, it you know totally matched the expectations that I had in my head of like what I pictured it to be like. Uh, having very having very little natural life uh, within the city walls, you know, like flowers and trees and animals stuff like that. But showing a lot of number uh, a lot a little bit but showing a large number of technological advancements uh, for the world. Uh, such as escalators. Ooh. <laughs> I love it when you get there and the, the kids are all like, what the heck are these? What, what's with these stairs? Why are they moving? 
and Alyssa, who's from that city, is just like, it's an escalator. Have you guys never seen one before? <laughs> <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty funny because she's just like so deadpan, just like, it's an escalator. What, what's the big deal? <laughs> but uh, that, that's why I think it's cool that you hear about this and like such a simple thing, like, you know, to us in like the modern age, you know, it'd be like pretty mind blowing to, you know, these characters in there because of how technology has advanced for them. Uh, anyway, uh, meanwhile, when you're outside of the city walls of Roar, you find that there's a lot of places that actually do have a lot of green, vibrant life. So it kind of creates this weird case of nature versus technology, you know, in a way. Um, last little thing that I did happen to think about for this game, and this is just a kind of a cool little detail uh, when playing Cold Steel 2. I haven't finished this one, but I've played enough of the game where I've seen this a few times. So in Cold Steel 2... Uh, there are some flashback sequences in the side dungeons uh, for each area that you go to. Uh, the song that plays in them during the flashbacks is actually from the Super Arrange album of the first game, uh, being an orchestral slash vocal arrangement of the ancient castle theme that you will find when you go to the uh, the lakeside town of Lagram. Uh, the song is called Aria, Holy Saint, Holy Spirit, and I was surprised to hear that it was actually being used in Cold Steel 2. It definitely fit for the cutscenes and the flashbacks uh, due to the nature of... Uh, who they were about and you know what the shrines were meant for. Uh, it was a nice detail and one of one of the details that I really liked about uh, that I like have liked about these Cold Steel games. It was one of those details that I uh, when I found it, it was just like, oh, that's you know pretty cool that they put in there. Uh, especially since I had bought the Super Arrange album of the first game because I enjoyed the music so much. So it was cool to see that kind of detail thrown in there. Um, I don't, I can't think of really anything else that I can think of off the top of my head. Although. I will just say real quick, like one of the grossest things about the game is the fact that uh, Breen's adoptive sister, uh, Elise, is has the hots for him. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? What? Like, no, th- Trails never does that. No, yeah, yeah no. you think Joshua, you think that the you Estelle. think the um, Estelle, you think the one with Estelle and Joshua is bad. Oh, man, I think it's way worse in frickin um, <coughs> um, Cold Steel uh, one. Even in two, it gets even worse. Cause it's like, what the hell is going on? Like, I really want to know who at Falcom is just like, I got an idea. Let's have them be. Let's have the one sister be in love with her brother. I feel yeah, like yeah, there's something I've, going on over there. It's it's another JRPG trope. I've or maybe not a JRPG, but like an anime trope of the yeah. adopted sister falling in love with her adopted brother. Blah blah blah, something like that. But yeah, it's it's that's definitely one of the things where it's just like. Whenever that happened in the first or the, even the second game, it's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> I mean, the, like, to be fair, Elise is not a bad character. Like, she is a pretty strong-willed young woman and everything like that. And she is a pretty friendly character. Like, from from the few interactions you have with her, she is, you know, uh, she is a good character. But just that part of it is just like, what, why did you guys do that? You know? Uh. <laughs> I don't I don't understand that one. And it's just like, you don't need that in there. That's That's gross. That's weird. All right, Matt Craft. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. Anyway, I was going to put Matt Craft on notice as we're uh, wrapping up here. Because, um, yeah, I don't have much left to say um, about Cold Seal because you and I haven't got to three or four yet. And uh, plus, that's where you get super spoily, uh, as far as I know. Um, I-, I-, I was looking up information about it today, and I was over at uh, RPG Fan, and. Uh, the writer Scott Clay put this very succinctly and I'm like, oh, this is like kind of what I've heard before, but like put in a very way that a lot of us would probably know. Um, he mentioned that Cold Seal 3, once you get there, you start getting all of the people from all of the games 
the Sky series, the Crossbell duology. Um, he equated it to Avengers Infinity War um, with all the characters and all the stories from the previous seven games coming to a boiling point, leaves you on a big cliffhanger. And then uh, Cold Steel 4 is basically like uh, Avengers Endgame, where, you know, wraps everything up or kind of wraps everything up um, because then already... Falcom in Japan has put out, uh, I'm not even going to read the Japanese version, but it's going to be here as uh, Trails into Revere. Um, it's coming out after the Crossbell game, so a couple years away for us still. Um, and basically, it's like Trails in the Sky the Third wrapped up all the plot points and everything for the Trails in the Sky series. This is going to kind of um, star Reen and Lloyd and probably lots of other people from the trail series so far, um, and wrap up a lot of plot points and character things from Cold Steel, Sky, and Crossbell. And then already, we'd mentioned it once or twice, the big empire of Calvard, which is on the other side of Crossbell from Erebonia. Um, that's where they're going next with this whole Kaseki thing. It's called a uh, Kuro no Kaseki. Um, and it's soon to be out in Japan. It'll deal with Calvard Republic. Um, and you're going to get a whole new set of heroes over there. And from what I've heard everybody saying about the cast of characters and like Cold Steel 3 and 4 just get like unwieldy, the number <laughs> of people you can deal with, like hopefully they break away from that and, you know, just focus on the new Calvard people. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of callbacks in the crossbell, but at least in the first game, you stuck with your main four people and it expands a little bit in the second one. And yeah, there's a lot of people that come and go, but they're not always in your party. They're just kind of like along for the ride or like in a lot of JRPGs, you'll have a fifth character that you don't control, but kind of participates in battle a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Now I think we've covered, we did a lot of ease. We did a lot, a lot, lot, lot of the legend of heroes, but there's some other Falcon games out of there. Heck, we uh, the Geofront people who did the Crossbell translations just put out a there's a fighting game, I believe, Ease versus um, the Kaseki people. So uh, you've got side games even onto these. But there's some other ones that don't really have to do with all this. But uh, Matcraft, why don't you talk uh, some uh, Legacy of Wizard and Xanadu stuff? Oh, boy. I did not have anything to add on trails, so... That's okay, I didn't have much to talk about on ease, so uh, we're good there. Well, let me see. I'm going to start with Legacy of the Wizard. That lovely little bitty came out on the NES way back in the day, in 1987. One of the first real, what could be considered a roguelikes... The Legacy of the Wizard stars the Drasselth family, which consists of six playable characters. If you have ever played a more modern game called shoot, Children of Morta, it's very similar. You go into an overarching dungeon with multiple characters and just plow through it. It actually has almost nothing to do with the E series, except it's made by Falcom. Otherwise than that, Legacy of the Wizard is an overarching member of the Dragon Slayer series, which ranges from everything from JRPGs to uh, strategy, action RPG. It just goes all over the place. The games that you will be familiar of with it are obviously Legend of, Z I meant Legend of the Wizard, a little game that we know as Fax Xanadu, 
which is a side-scrolling RPG where you play as a dude saving a tree. That's literally it. You go through the game, it has a password system. I do believe that the box art for the game says, Daggers and wing boots, mantras and monsters await you. It is one of the most classic NES titles, and you would be really remiss to miss it. Even if you can't find a copy of it hardcore, download it and play it on on an emulator. The Fax Xanadu, which is also Famicom Xanadu, is also part of yet another obscure side series of the Falcon games called Xanadu, which is all a bunch of roguelike wannabes. One of the titles that you'll be able to find properly is called Tokyo Xanadu, which is on Steam and plays similar to Fact Xanadu, although it's more top-down. Otherwise than that, Tokyo Xanadu was also on, as far as you guys love, uh, on the Vita! Hooray! I have it on my Vita. Those one on the PS4. On deck. That is it on my end. Honestly... Dragon Slayer is kind of an untranslated hellhole you don't want to jump into. <laughs> All right. Well, whew. and that may be the most games that we've covered on a uh, side quest episode yet to date. I wouldn't bet on it, but, uh, you know, we, we've easily probably hit 20 games here. Yeah, we did talk about quite a few. I haven't really been keeping track of how many. <laughs> <laughs> but we've, we we have talked about quite a few tonight. Like all joking aside, there's there there are a lot of Falcon games out there. And even though you know a lot of them are from you know, the same series, like they they are mostly standalone experiences. Except for Trails games, don't play those ones jumping into like two and expect to understand what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, play 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 them in order. Play those ones in order. <laughs> but um, thankfully. Trails of Cold Steel 3 and 4 do have a backstory option. And you yeah, can but find honestly, them on that's probably services. not the best way to play something there. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff like, what the hell is that about? <laughs> Admittedly, I read through the backstory. That's the first thing I thought. Yeah, really. I'll tell you what, like, I mean, even in like the final battle of uh, the first Crossbell game, things were come up and like thrown in the face of the bad guy. Like, hey, you know, remember when you did this and this and this? And it went back and referenced some stuff found in doors and trails of the sky three i was like whoa i caught that reference i mean you kind of get what they're talking about how bad it is but i mean like specifically like wow there's there's a lot of deep cuts all around Mm -hmm. yeah so it it can be a little intimidating getting to this and into the trail series in particular but honestly just start with trails one or start with cold steel one or you know just start whichever like honestly from playing cold steel one as that being like the first one that i really played through all the way i went back and when i played uh sky one it's like oh okay now i understand that reference from you know that was made in cold steel one but i never felt like i was lost playing that one so mm-hmm. if you play cold steel one and two first is like your first experiences you know then i think you'd be fine but uh maybe save uh cold steel three and four for after when you play some of the other games <laughs> That's kind of what I'm doing with three and four. I'm going to wait on those ones. They're long games anyway, so I think you're. I think that'd be fine. But yeah, um, build up to that. Sorry, go ahead. At least you can find most of them on Steam. What were you going to say, Platy? Oh, I said you got to build up to that level. You got to build up to putting in the time for three and four. 
Very true. Um, you know, maybe with this episode tonight, we actually have had, you know, enough uh, dialogue and text to fill in like the first three hours of a Trails game. Maybe four, but that could be pushing it. I mean, <laughs> have you seen these episodes? Have you seen these games in some of their dialogue? Like, it's just crazy. Um, Isn't there a graphic out there that the f- four cold, se- cold steel games have almost a million words in them? Oh, it's I think it's more than a million. Like War and Peace or something like that. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, oh gosh, we'll have to look. We'll have to see if we can find that image for the YouTube version. But um, yeah, there's <laughs> something where it like compares like how much text is in these games, and it's like way more than some of like the longest written novels that are out there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so you're saying that it could possibly beat the translation of Dragon Quest Seven? Oh yeah, it. Like oh, it yeah, trumps yeah. that easily. Like honestly, Cold Steel One probably has more text and dialogue than Dragon Quest Seven does. Like it's like of characters, you know, it's no exaggeration when like uh Platty said it before, where characters can change their dialogue. Like if you talk to them again and again after different stuff, it's no exaggeration. Like you can talk to an NPC, they're not gonna say the same thing every single time you talk to them. Okay. Pretty okay. Cool. I, he, I found the graphic real quick. All right, so uh, I was mistaken. Cold Trails of Cold Steel Three, just the third game. They've got estimated, and I'm sure they rounded to this number here, 1,111,111 words, which is more than twice the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, two and a half times what's in Witcher 3, and just a little bit over the total length of all seven Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. And that's just three. <laughs> not yep. not all the games, just number three. Yep. So, okay, yeah, woo, lots, of, lot, lots to do. Lots of reading. Yeah, like when I first, when I, um, uh, just to quickly talk about this real quick. When I originally played Cold Steel 1, I actually borrowed uh, Platy's um, Vita copy. But kind of like with um, Trails in the Sky 1, I just really wasn't able to get into it as deeply as I thought I was going to. Uh, I got to Chapter 3, and I just, I'm like, eh, I'm not really going to get into it. So I ended up sending it back to Platy after having not played it for a while. I ended up picking up the PS4 version, which XC had brought over here, along with the PS4 version of uh, Cold Steel 2. And I, for some reason, it just clicked with me. Like, I remember t- telling Platty about, like, all my adventures through it. I think, oh, yeah, God, you, what was it? I had, like, 150, 160 hours before. I, oh, I yeah. yeah, yeah. Still you, one. you, like, double or tripled my time with it. Yeah, it was. But honestly, I was just enjoying talking to people. And, you know, I was really impressed by seeing all that because I heard about that. But seeing it firsthand, it's like, wow, there's actually a lot. And, mm-hmm. and really, a lot of the dialogue didn't feel like it was just, like, um... I don't know. I, I, never, I never felt like I was forcing myself to do it just because, mm-hmm. or you know, just because I felt like I had to. I, I wanted to see what people had to say because it was interesting. I I really did like it. You know, kudos to uh, the guys at Falcom. You know, for for one, actually putting all that dialogue in there and all that text and everything because it, you know, it really does show like it. You know, for this being a video game, that you know they they treat the characters, even just the minor NPCs, um, like they have their own lives going on instead of them just like repeating like the. You know, the same five words like every time you talk to them. It was in, it was interesting. I liked it. But um, let's see. Just to, before we uh, wrap things up here, I do want to give just a quick mention to a YouTube video that actually kind of talks about uh, some of the translation uh, issues that this series has run into, especially with the cold. Uh, excuse me, with the um, Trails in the Sky games. So if you go to YouTube, uh, look up the channel uh, Matt McMuscles, or just look up his um, YouTube series called What Happened and search Trails in the Sky after what happened uh he actually did a full video a few months ago about the translation problems that uh were affecting the early days of the trails in the sky series slash like when xseed started doing the 
<clears throat> when they started doing the, the Legend of Heroes games, it's a, like about 15 minute watch or so. It's actually really interesting because there's a lot of behind the scenes info that I had never even heard about. And just like how, you know, how much hard work that Exceed had to put into getting both these games to come over here, but how much they had to put into translation wise to get them uh, available to the English uh, speaking uh, world. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a good little watch. Um, again, if you want to go watch it, just go over to YouTube, type in what happened, Trails in the Sky, or just go to Matt McMuscle's uh, YouTube channel, and you'll be able to find it there. It's a good little watch. I, I would highly recommend it, especially if you're interested in the series after you know listen to it, listening to us talk about uh, Falcon for so long tonight. All right. Thanks, Matt Kraft, for uh, being around with us tonight to talk all things Falcon. And my goodness, we did pretty much talk all things Falcon. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It was wonderful being here as usual. Yeah, it's always wonderful being here. We got tons of games, tons of characters, different battle systems to discuss. Um, you know something we haven't discussed yet tonight, guys? What's that? Patreon! Woohoo! Screw Patreon, oh. because we are just <laughs> longtime fans of the uh, Dragon Quest series. And obviously, a lot of these Falcom series. Um, we like to do this for fun. If you'd like to support any the podcast, though, don't give it to us. Zoom on over to the Dragon's Den. Support that website and the forums there. Wudis has been maintaining the Dragon's Den for like 20 years. He'd appreciate all the love and support you can give. Um, really easy now. And if you want to just donate, you can. There's clicks to donate there. But uh, right at the top, he's got a new banner past couple months with an amazon affiliate link listen it's christmas you know you're gonna buy like a couple hundred dollars worth of amazon shit and send it all over the country anyway probably just to yourself but any of those purchases that you make for christmas for hanukkah for kwanzaa for thanksgiving for new year's you know you gotta have your 2022 glasses ready to drink you know buy them on amazon buy them through the den um Woodis will get a couple pennies, you know. I, I I think he got like twenty seven cents last week. Woo! Go Woodis. Um, doesn't cost you anything extra. Amazon pays the bill for you, and they're they're quite not generous. So buy lots, buy lots. Yes, do all you can for your Christmas Hanukkah shopping. Ah, and you know, for the rest of us, Festivus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you need an iron pole. I bet you they do. got iron poles. You do. A uh, quick little side note here. I actually did find like a miniature version of the of the metal pole from, from that episode of Seinfeld, <laughs> and it's become a, a Christmas decoration now. Um, nice. Anyway, um, if you have any suggestions uh, for future side quest episodes, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can reach out to Platty uh, via his platter uh, via his platter. <laughs> I can't talk tonight. I think I'm up since six thirty this morning. Tired. Um, you can reach out to Platty via his Twitter, platym 3 or via the Dragon's Den Discord or on the Dragon's Den forums. Uh, you can also contact me, um, Yegas Legendary Bandit, on the Dragon's Den via personal message or on the Dragon's Den Discord as well. Uh, just search for my name, Yegas Legendary Bandit, or if you want to contact Platy on either one of those, just con just uh, looked up uh, his name, platym 3 uh, We have a list that's full of ideas, and we'd be happy to add some more, or if you'd like us to revisit a topic, if we get enough interest for it, uh, we'd be happy to do that as well. Bye, everyone. Side quest complete. Your bracer rank has gone up. Bye.